Welcome to the Sparrow Hangout, where we talk all things spearfishing, free diving, and foraging. We're three guys from Devon in the UK who are excited to share some of the learnings from our spearfishing journey with you over the coming episodes. We bring in some special guests along the way to help spread some in-depth spearing knowledge as one of the most experienced people in the scene. Hey guys, how you doing? Yo, how's it going? Evening. Lovely to see you. Yeah. yeah. Well, we it's been answer, ages man. again, this fucking weather. Yeah. I thought it might have started to clear up by now, but I keep checking mm. the cams and, and nothing's on. Well, I looked at the long range forecast and it says we're going to have some settled wind for the next uh, yeah. week or so. so yeah. Fingers crossed. Maybe Sunday. Fingers crossed. Well, there's still a lot of um, sort of like surface water and stuff that's got to get out though. So, yeah. although the wind might be all right, I doubt the viz will be any good for anything much more than scalloping. Yeah, and, all, uh, all the fish have gone home no anyway, more, right? <laughs> no more bass. Oh yeah, yeah, true. End of end of bass season. End of bass season. November. Yeah, it's weird that, isn't it? I feel like we should do like a end of season kind of. Well, I guess we are really, aren't we? Episode twenty, and it's um, we've got quite a special guest tonight. We yeah. do, yeah, you can make a guest, man. Like we've been, I don't know if you lads remember, but when we first started the podcast, do you remember us saying, "Oh, what, you know, we'll, we'll get Dan Man on at some point." I mean, that point feels like it's come super quick. <laughs> yeah, really quick. Yeah, yeah, we had a, a, a list of um, like a few people we wanted to get on, and I think we'll, we'll be quite a way through that list by the end of the year right yeah i can't mm. believe we've we've interviewed 20 people already man it's crazy well 19 i think there was mm. one or two with just us but yeah that's mad honestly it's gone so quick but yeah it seems to be doing really well and everyone seems to be loving it so yeah it's awesome man. yeah and um absolutely. as a as a special guest for episode 20 i think uh could have picked a better person and we've also got a uh, prize we're going to be giving away as well which um, we've got a few sponsors on board with so We'll um we'll give the sponsors a shout because they've um generously donated some prizes towards the giveaway, and um so it's it's Octacool, UK Spiro, Bearded Spiro, Yakida, and Freedivers Co. Um, if you want to get involved in the giveaway, just check us out on Instagram. It's uh, the underscore Spiro underscore Hangout on Instagram, and there'll be details at the end of the giveaway. And there's some cool prizes, man. So yeah, amazing. That's pretty cool. Uh, so we got a tin of Octacool. We've got uh, Yakita sponsoring some merch. Free Divers Co. are going to be giving away a bulldog wow. um, spear gun. Um, the got a logbook from the UK Spearow, and we've got two 50% off vouchers for Sam Seeley's lobster hunting courses. Amazing. Oh, amazing. Yeah, so we've some really good prizes, man. And get, that, get that in over the winter, I think, with Sam. Yeah, oh, I know. Yeah, I, I keep saying to you lads, like we need to try and get out there with Sam, eh? But um, just trying to find the right time. That's it. Like we were saying, time, viz, and yeah. So uh, it seems like for us, for us three, work has gone mental as well. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> thank God there has been lots of wind and shit viz because work's been chaotic. Yeah, not just that, but work and the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, just everything takes up time, doesn't it? But yeah, I love it. It's all good. Yeah, nice. No, awesome. Sweet. Well, I'm looking forward to this episode, lads. 
Yeah, so um, we recorded the um, episode with Dan Mann yesterday. Rich, you were a little bit poorly, weren't you? So um, it's just me and Anthony taking the reins for that one. Yeah, I'm sorry to all the listeners. For those of you that can't see Rich at the moment, he's, he's licking his wounds, feeling very sorry for himself in what looks like his missus dressing gown <laughs> and it's, not, it's not far off man <laughs> yeah it's like pink with silver speckles it's very pretty it's so pretty but also you're a massive pussy bitch and you missed out on the podcast i <laughs> know oh, i know I'm, I'm gutted honestly but i was in just far too much pain but yeah i'm having my wisdom teeth taken out uh tomorrow so it won't be no diving for me for a couple of weeks unfortunately so yeah there well you go. we hope you get better soon and um yeah Cheers, lads. fingers crossed they stop the pain and infection all that shit but uh yeah let's let's get dan on hey dan uh can you kick us off by letting everyone know who you are and what it is you do uh, uh, my name is daniel mann and i go spearfishing and i make videos about said spearfishing escapades and that's about it really i put them on oh. youtube Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very it's much a, for having me. Episode 20. Obviously, we wanted it to be a, a big name, and I don't think we can get much bigger in the spearfishing world and, and the cooking world of spearfishing than that, <laughs> oh, man. That's very um, kind. Um, <laughs> I know that we have uh, on with us one of your very big fans. I think Ben is going to be the starstruck one. This yeah, mate, I, I have to be honest. I think you're probably one of the, the main reasons I got into spearfishing. I've always loved fishing and i've always quite fancied trying it but it must have been lockdown i started watching your videos and i just thought wow that recently yeah i just thought got gotta give it a go it's you know it's the same story for a few words but yeah you, your videos jpk's videos just kind of set me off you know i had to have a piece of that so thank you for getting me into this wonderful sport you're, you're very welcome yeah I'm so glad t- that, that's awesome yeah tell us a bit more about sort of your your spearfishing life, your journey, um, you know, how, how old you are, how, how old were you were when you started? Um, I take it from the accent and obviously knowing your YouTube, you're not a, uh, an, an English person or a UK person or a Brit. Um, uh, you know, when, when did you start? Uh, to clear that up, uh, I am half British. My mother was born in Sheffield, immigrated to Australia when she was six. Um, so nice. I've got a, I'm, I'm a citizen, got a passport, uh, for this. Have you got lovely- dual passports? Yeah, I got two. Yeah, um, I mean the, the the UK one was very much a lot more useful uh, prior to Brexit, but um, alas. Uh, anyway, mm-hmm. we're not going to go into the Brexit topic. <laughs> yeah, good old Brexit. Um, but yeah, born in Australia, and uh, actually next year, um, officially twenty years of spearfishing. Um, I went through back through my photos, so I started in two thousand and three, um, just following my brother as he was doing spearfishing after university and being like most tight ass university students, he was either tossing up spearfishing or windsurfing, but an uncle had a spear gun, so he didn't have to lay out any cash. So he went the spearfishing option. But um, my granddad and my dad have been line fishing for many years um, up in North Queensland. So quite familiar with fish. So I didn't really have a lot of um, uh, learning curve, learning fish species and how to fill it and all that sort of stuff. So it was pretty easy to, to slot into when I was, um, fifteen, yeah, thirty-four next year. So that's yeah, oh, amazing. Younger than me. Oh, now I feel old. I'm You're not as old as Ben, though. Oh, I'm a couple I, years on you, mate. <laughs> I feel every bit of thir- uh, thirty-four, thirty-three at the moment. 
<laughs> it only gets oh, worse. Yeah. Yeah, oh, big time. Yeah. I, so I swear. How long were you spearfishing in Oz? Spearfishing in Australia till uh, I moved here um, seven seven years ago in 2015. I moved to the UK. So speared from 2003 to 2015 in Australia um, on the East Coast mostly. Oh, I've never been to any other coasts, just the East Coast, which is you know, four or 5,000 kilometers of coastline. It's quite a big East Coast. Um, and then I've been back a couple of times. Um, since living here, done a little bit of diving there again. So yeah, that's basically Amazing. it really. And East coast is that what's sort of the, the, the typical video that we see on YouTube of the, the, the crystal clear blue waters, 30 meter deep, you know, catching the big kingfish and the, the big stuff or. Yeah. You get a lot of that where I'm from in Brisbane, it's quite a melting pot of, um, species you get typically in Australia. Um, you get a mix of the northern uh, tropical species, you get subtropical species, and you also get some some temperate species as well, which are stuff you normally find in Sydney. And uh, to give you some perspective, where I'm from in Brisbane to Sydney is about 900 kilometres, so it's, it's, quite, it's quite a distance in... Um, oh, here we go. This is going to test me. I'm going to look like a fool here if I get this wrong. Uh, <laughs> latitude... Oh, is it latitude, longitude? Whatever. It's quite a distance up and down. Uh, north yeah. to south so you get um quite a variance in species where in, in sydney you get quite a lot of small fish the biggest thing you're going to shoot there typically is a kingfish or a marlin or something like that but where i'm from in brisbane if you can name a fish it's generally being shot there uh, you just get such a mix of anything nothing surprises me anymore that's there. awesome really, there's a much really um, first place. much bigger variety of fish out there than it is over here right i mean i've heard noob spiro trek you know saying some disparaging remarks around how uh, undiverse our uh, kind of local population of fish is. Um, oh, I mean, how do you find it? it? Uh, in Australia, I mean, there's um, oh, the club I was in on, on the Gold Coast. Our reduced school sheet, which was considered very selective, still had sixty or seventy species on it. Wow! For a, comp- for a competition. <laughs> so, um, if I were to go over there, that'd be like a real challenge to know what I'm shooting. I guess some species are. You know, off off the list because you're not allowed to shoot them, or how does that work? Uh, some species are off the list due, due to um, fisheries regulations, um, mm-hmm. so you can't shoot them because they're either protected, endangered, pseudo endangered, according to greenies, etc. Um, yeah. There's a lot of politics behind some particular fish species that are protected, right? And there's close seasons as well, but also taste. Um, most people stuff that's quite large. I mean, you, you can go out any day of the week and shoot a. Uh, what we call a sawtail surgeon fish, which is kind of a, a round surgeon fish looking thing that you would have seen in any of Ryan Myers videos, you know, the Coley type mm-hmm. looking animals. They're pretty easy to shoot. They're dumb. They get maybe five kilos if you get an absolute monster and they shoal up on the surface and they're normally an indicator of really good fish, but they're actually really tasty, but not many people shoot them because they're kind of, not, there's no prestige about shooting a fish that sits under the surface and, looks at you sort of thing. Um, yeah. But they're very much tasty. Um, so you wouldn't have that sort of thing on score sheets um, typically. Uh, and then as far as the amount of fish you go to shoot in a competition, I've I've dived competitions on on the Gold Coast um, south of Brisbane in my, in my club competitions for shot 13 or 14 species and still haven't won. Wow. Um, That's so you, crazy. Yeah, there are 14 different species in six hours and you're not even really competitive um, I've also, uh, the further south you go, they get more species as well. So there's a competition on the border of, near the border of Victoria and New South Wales, the Eden uh, competition, and people will shoot 
24 species in a six hour comp wow, which is just way. ridiculous um so yeah i, I did a i did a um a pacific coast championships as well um just a bit north of sydney i think i shot 16 species in a day halfway down the field <laughs> that's just, insane uh, so with the yeah. water out there then versus the competitions because um this year was my first year of com- competitive spearfishing Mm. Um, and we did four four competitions of which Ben, you came to all of them, didn't you? Yeah, we all yeah. we did all of them. Um, and we were very competitive. <laughs> well, we tried, <laughs> failed. Um, but like here, the, the species and also the amount of fish that you get. You know, some competitions those people catch just the ras and maybe a couple of mullet or a bass. Um, but you know, twenty four different species of fish out there. Is the is the water just kind of always fishy or it's not always fishy um you know some people on those competitions that, that i dive off off the gold coast for the local club competitions on a, just a sunday social sometimes i'd shoot in, in winter i might shoot eight or nine species and, and win a day and then some people don't shoot a fish all day um, mm. it just depends on where you're fishing and that sort of thing where you're um, fishing or whether you're called kev daily <laughs> Yeah, um, whether you can just call the fish in and just um, tell them where to be, but yeah, it's um, I, I, I grew up doing a lot of competition diving, and I think it's um, a really it went when it's done like in a really selective way. I mean, one one fish per species is, is great because you know, yeah. we have the ability to do that in Australia, but because you have only one fish per species, you're not just constantly hammering the same things. You're spreading the the load out. I guess um, it's mm. kind of here with with the um the bass you know people that's generally the first thing somebody goes to target um, and when you're in a competition you shoot you, you shoot your bass and you crack on for the next six hours not just trying to you know shoot another one or a bigger one or something like that so yeah 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 no um, absolutely I th- and I, th- I think hopefully that's probably the way the competitions are going to change slightly here in the uk or at least something that i would push for personally because it, it's Again. bit it yeah i th- th- think that the uk start, style the reason why they do it the way where you know you have 10 mullets uh, mm-hmm. You can shoot 10 mullet, you can shoot 10 pollock, et cetera, is to align with the international competitions. So the world championships mm-hmm. and the Euro African championships that the UK is eligible for, because mm-hmm. that's the style of the competition. And that's another reason why they've allowed GPS in the UK, because you can do that in all your international competitions. So mm-hmm. why not train for those yeah. major competitions in the same format or a very similar format, apart from the swim off um, yeah, factor. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah cool. And you've taken part in quite a few competitions. One of my um, favourite videos, is it the Scorpina Cup in Denmark? That yes. That was like an epic competition. That was super cool. That was the first one um, they'd ever did that I went to because I knew some, I knew a Finnish uh, mate of mine that I met in Australia mm. and he said, oh, do you want to go to this? And I saw it advertised on Facebook. So I said, yeah, let's give it a go. And um yeah, really fun. The, the Nordic competitions, if you ever get an opportunity to go to anything that involves the the Finns or the Danes or the Norwegians, you're going to have a good time. They're just super friendly. The competitions are just absolutely magic. Yeah, I really, really enjoy them. That's something exactly. about us that yeah. we've been talking about recently that we definitely need to uh, book a trip similar to our sky trip, but up to Norway. Um, yeah, <laughs> Norway's good ben, fun. We were talking about how we definitely need to do a shout out to anybody that's listening in Norway to... Uh, Chuck us a message and uh, try and arrange something for next year because yeah, we we definitely want to go there from watching you know watching some of the videos that you've put out and and the other people you know from Norway that have put out. It's there a is stunning, a lot, a lot stunning of fish land. out there. 
Oh, and it's gorgeous. It's one of those countries that <laughs> you, you can just keep going back to. I've been to Norway seven or eight times, maybe on, on separate visits, just for either hiking or spearfishing, sitting sort of stuff. And it's just one of those places you'll always go back to because it, everywhere you look is just gorgeous. Any um, nice. like location recommendations or anything for us? Uh, the, if you want to shoot a halibut, go further north. If you want right. to shoot, if you want to shoot a bunch of five kilo cod pollock, you could go anywhere from sort of Stavanger to um, Buda, uh, which is just below the Arctic Circle. You still get halibut uh, along those areas, but if you really want to go shoot a whopper, go in autumn and be prepared to do a lot of swimming and a lot of not shooting much else. Um, how how did your trip to Norway go? Was it this year? You went yeah, and I, 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 yeah, I did. Horrendous. I saw the videos. Yeah, it looked um, like um, torture. Yeah, it was a it was a character building exercise. With, um, <laughs> so in in Norway, if you've ever been um, up in particularly in the Lofoten Islands, which is a big spur of islands that come off just north of the Arctic Circle, you will see these A frames that are built out a lot of the in front of a lot of the fishing huts. And they're for drying cod. So if you ever go to, I presume if you've ever been to Portugal or Spain, you see uh, bacalao on the menu, which is salted cod, which is where it comes from Norway. So they basically, in the winter, they get all the cod and they dry them out and salt them and they ship them off to um, uh, mainland Europe. And in the winter, they get a migration of these cod called uh, skrei cod or skrei cod, I think it's called, um, Norwegian pronunciation. Um, and basically, they migrate down from the Barents Sea near Greenland and Svalbard, and they are whoppers. I mean, I've, there's videos online you can see of you could literally walk across the backs of these fish. They're on the surface in tight balls, and they're 40 kilos. They're absolute monsters. And that's what we're trying to, to find. Yeah. You need to basically you need to go out there at the right time, and that's kind of February, March, which, as we know in the UK, is a very grim time of the year. And up there, it's even worse. <laughs> and you're trying to find a migrating fish population that may or may not show up on any of the days that you're there. You're trying to navigate weather. It's absolutely crazy. One time, I, like one night, I swear, um, Joe Pike and I thought that the cabin was going to blow over. It was outrageous. <laughs> I think I think it blew fifty knots with snow overnight, and we, and it was I didn't didn't sleep much. Um, but yeah, we didn't find any cod. I think there was one cod seen on the entire trip. Um, when we were in the water, we saw plenty back at the fishing lodge uh, mm-hmm. because they could catch them out of a hundred meters. But we were, we did find one bait ball and there was nothing on it, unfortunately. Mm. So spoiler alert, if you watch that video, uh, there wasn't many much fish action, just lots of cold action, but we I had to try. Like, um, I quite like your videos where, uh, you don't catch anything. I know that sounds terrible, but I <laughs> quite like the, the adventure. Yeah. It's like you, when you're hunting for your dentex and you keep going back and you don't catch them, but like there's that sense of suspense. You know that you're going to one day, you're going to keep going back. You're really determined. And and they, then they, you did, didn't you? I think it's very relatable for, for people to not get yeah. what they're after. I mean, I, I kind of uh, liken it to watching the Red Bull free ride when you see all these skiers and snowboarders and they're doing, you know, backflips off, you know, the side of the Matterhorn and all this insanely cool stuff, but I'm never going to do that. But it's not that relatable. It's cool to watch for a bit, but you don't go, yeah, I'm going to go out and do that. But when I think one thing that's um, made my videos a bit more uh, quite watchable is because I do fail and everyone can relate to that. And mm-hmm. it's so relatable whether you're, you've just started spearfishing, you know the feeling of going out there and not catching anything. 
And the reality is that that happens um, to everybody all the time. And mm. it's just, um, I think people feel that they're just a bit more encouraged that, you know, it happens to everybody. You know, you, it's not always a, a day you're going out and shooting a trophy fish or something that you really want. See, well, one of, one of the things that I've, as you say, that, that I love about your videos when you don't catch is also how much you bring in the the nature aspect um, with your drone and the footage that you do of the, of the place that you're visiting. Um, and I just, I, I love your cinematography. Yeah, we'll go for that, yeah. Yeah. I have, and, I have and, to fill in the time somehow, don't I? If I'm not sure. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta no, I, I Something else to watch. I, I, lo I love that part as as much as I love you know seeing this this spear fishing um, and so yeah no I, th I think you've done you, you're obviously doing fantastically with YouTube um, but no Christ, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm like Ben says it's it's good to see when you don't catch um, because yeah if it was just catching fish um, it would probably it's a bit boring, get a bit samey yeah yeah like when you I think maybe five six years ago the the kill montage was very popular on that's the most of the spearfishing videos you were seeing was just five minutes of shot after shot after shot and it and, it, and I, I got a bit frustrated uh, i think because when people would ask me what's what's spearfishing and then all you'd have to show them is just you pulling the trigger and they go oh you know that's cheating and you're like oh my gosh how, why is no this idea. not being why is <laughs> why is this not being explained better so that's yeah. why i um i think one of my first videos that i did when i was starting youtube i wanted a very poor video but it was just trying to give some context to something and because i held up a photo of a red emperor that i'd shot um but you know if you just see a photo of something you've got no context about how it got there um and so but that particular one we i was diving on a very small spot with a, a mate of mine tim i watched him shoot this red emperor underwater at about 28 meters or something like that. And I saw his spear fall straight back out because he is terrible on gear maintenance and his <laughs> flopper didn't engage and just pulled straight back out of a 10 kilo fish. I saw it go through and it came <sighs> straight back out. And the fish came next to me and I was between the fish and a ledge under the rock and it sort of paused for a second to assess what I was. And then I twatted it and, um, <laughs> and then got back to the surface. So it's kind of, I, I think I gave him half of the fillets on that one. Um, <laughs> that seems reasonable. Nice. But it was it was a cool little story because you know you, you just otherwise you just see a photo of a dead fish and I don't think that's ultimately the spearfishing experience that yeah. most of us are are used to. No, and it's no. not just about the challenge, right? It's also about the scenery, it's about the environment, it's about everything else. Like Anthony says, you know, like, the people, the food, the places yeah. you are. Yeah, yeah. the so, escape as well. This you know, especially considering yeah. when I, I'm sort of from Reading, so I'm outside London, but. Uh, I, I know that busy life um, that you can lead in cities. And once you get out of the sea, you know, especially if you're abroad, you just, you, you can escape and it's, yeah, it takes you away from everything else. So it's not just the shooting of the fish. The shooting of the fish is fantastic and then enjoying it with other people, but also being out there just, just floating. Yeah. It's, being uh, somewhere else is, is great. Yeah. All, all different places is nice. That's what I am. Being oh, somewhere else. Yes. Uh, I was gonna, yeah. So recently, we were just talking about the Dentex. You've been all over the place this, what it um, seems like the end of this summer, haven't you? Um, yeah. Well, this year I dived in, I've spearfished in 12 countries. Um, I'll, I'll count wow. the UK as one, yeah. uh, which, is, which is cool. Um, so start of the year, went to Norway, 
on that trip that was planned for a couple of years, but COVID, et cetera. Um, I had a work trip to the United Arab Emirates. And so I strategically planned my flights around diving out of Dubai. Um, I went to Corsica on a, um, on a film shoot for a large spearfishing company that everybody would probably know, but probably not allowed to say yet because the video is not released. Um, did a little bit of spearfishing there. Um, and then my wife and I quit our jobs uh, uh, at the start of the year. And from June, we took a bit of a sabbatical and went to Spain, Portugal. So we started in Portugal, Spain. I went to Sicily, um, Puglia in Italy. So just Italy. And then went to Albania to dive, went to Greece. I went to Finland and then we went to New Zealand, then Australia. Um, somewhere else I dived. Anyway, a few places. It's pretty epic, what, right? I was going to say, what um, a problem to have. You can't list yeah. all of the places you've dived. <laughs> yeah, so it's been it's been a massive year, like the, the most massive year of, of spearfishing ever, um, which is really cool. Um, That's amazing. Well, yeah. I'm sure it's it's well earned. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and Hannah's got into spearfishing as well recently, or has she been doing it for quite a while? She's not so much into the spearfishing side of things as far as wanting to poke fish, yeah. but she's very much into the travel bit of free diving she's getting really good at that actually um probably going to take her on a free diving course um hopefully in the next month or so uh, so cool. we can go to a pool in richmond um to go do some do some training and then yeah she's she's good at she's go she's keen on foraging so um in new zealand we've got uh, abalone so the power and uh, the kinner which is the sea urchin so she's bang up for that sort of stuff but not really that keen on having a gun in her hand which is fine yeah is she still like? Can she grab the lobster? Is she up for that? Oh, I, I, I guess she would be. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at lobsters. I think I've <laughs> count on one hand how many lobsters I've got in this country. I just don't really, I don't really look for them that much. Oh, so they, they, well, they call I, them in uh, Oz. Um, is it? I don't know. They don't call them lobsters. Do they? they call them crayfish. Cray, is it crayfish. Yeah. Depends where you're from. Um, mm. uh, like fishery is listed as a tropical painted crayfish, and then there's southern rock lobsters. Then there's an eastern rock lobster. But it's all. It, they don't have. There's no salt water um, crustaceans with the t- like that look like lobster or crayfish that have the the pinchies in, mm-hmm. in Australia. They're all just sort of yeah, non pinchy ones. Yeah, spiky, <laughs> non-pinchy ones, non-pinchy ones. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, um, going back to your escapades in, well, I think it's mainly Greece, right? You shot your first dentex there. I shot my Greece. first dentex in Spain. Oh, Spain. Uh, sorry. Yeah, and as some people, as purists would say, it's cheating because it was in the Atlantic, not in the Mediterranean. Ah, um, right. There is, there is, there is a lot. Uh, there's a lot more fish in the Atlantic side of Spain than the Mediterranean side. Yeah, of many of those countries, but. Um, yeah, Spain reminded me a lot of Brisbane, actually. There's current, most of the diving was sort of between 20 to 30 metres and really interesting structure. And you, you, you're using the sonar to find where the bait's sitting on mm-hmm. up current sides of rocks and diving on features, that sort of way. Very similar to how I dive at home. So it was, it was quite, quite easy to slot into, but also the fish are still very smart. Yeah, and it was quite an achievement for you because well, you, you certainly made it sound like it was quite an achievement having, you know, all these kind of failed trips and not, not being able to find one. Is it the most elusive fish you've kind of tracked down? I don't think they're particularly elusive. I just, well, they are and they aren't. I mean, they're, for some people, 
you know, if, if you know where to find them, that's easy enough. But trying to find them and understanding where to find them from an outsider's perspective of where you're going, yeah. generally to Greece on a holiday where I'm trying to mix a bit of spearfishing, bit of holiday, relaxing sort of thing. You there might be there for a week, 10 days or something like that. You might dive three or four times. You're shore diving. So all those spots are going to get hit. And the thing about um, the Mediterranean is there's just so many people that go spearfishing there. I think, don't quote me on this, but the last time I was talking to me about the numbers, I think in Italy there was over 100,000 registered spearfishers. I mean, really? conservatively, people that actively Christ. go spearfishing. Oh, it's huge amounts of people. Like everybody everybody knows what a spearfisher is in in the Mediterranean, Any, anywhere you go with a spear gun, people know what you're doing. Whereas in the UK, people are like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, et cetera. Um, I had one, one guy one time on a coastal path looking at me and I could see him like looking at the bushes through me and I was on the shoreline <laughs> and he had a big yellow high-vis vest on and I was swimming back to the shore. <laughs> and then he said, boy, what are you doing? I said, swimming. Um, and he's like, where did you come from? Like thinking I was some sort of, you know, Russian spy that's or something like that that's um, just emerged out of the water or some immigrant or something like that that they didn't want to, um, some jingoistic person didn't want arriving on their shores or something like that. But in, in the Mediterranean, there's just so many more people and so the, the, the fish are just a lot more scarce. Um, yeah. So going to, going to Spain's a bit easier, but I did um, end up getting some in the Mediterranean. Not very big ones. I saw some big ones. But as far as them being elusive, I think just trying to work it out for myself has been difficult on my own. And I've had a lot of help uh, trying to get them uh, in Greece um, and, and Italy. You know, I've, I've dived there with some other people and tried to look for them. But it's just not a fish I've had a, a lot of luck on. And I think it's about the spot um, and knowing when to be there, what time of day, <laughs> tides, moon phase, all this sort of stuff. And just having someone local to go, hey, I see Dentex here. So you might see them as well. And um, I was going to say, looking at the video um, of the videos um, that yeah. I watched and the, the chap that took you out and he was sort of putting you on the spots, but it looked like it was also really difficult or like it was a completely, obviously brand new fish for you and trying to learn their behaviors and how they reacted to you and how yeah. you, to catch them. Um, yeah, they, they look really skittish. Super skittish. I and mean, we have a similar... Um, a fish in, in the same genus uh, in Australia that we call a snapper, but um, it's a pagrasoratus. It's a, a pink looking thing with a knob on its head when they get bigger and they're <laughs> somewhat skittish, uh, but you can also find dumb ones. And you can also, as you've seen online, there's videos of very dumb dentex as well. So you can get stupid fish of every kind. It's just, they're not often stupid. And so I'd had some idea of hunting those in Australia, but diving in Australia makes you a very lazy hunter as a spearfisher, because honestly, it's just incredibly easy compared to going in the Mediterranean. So all, all summer, sorry, digressing here, but all, all the summer I dived the Mediterranean and then I went to New Zealand and I, I felt like I was cheating in New Zealand because the <laughs> fish are honestly, uh, it's harder to shoot a rock in New Zealand because a rock doesn't <laughs> swim up to you. It's, it's just ridiculous. There's, there's so many fish and uh, the, the only hard thing to shoot in, in New Zealand I found was the, the snapper, the same species we get in Australia. But yeah, the Dentex, just, they're just very skittish. The water's very clean so they can see you from a long way away. Whereas in Australia, sometimes you can get snapper in five or six meters visibility and it's a bit easier because they come a bit closer before you can see it. 
those things can see you from 20 meters away. They can feel you. Um, and also you're trying to dive quite for, for me, like a bit on the other, on, on the top end of my limits of what I'm comfortable spearfishing at. And yeah, the, you just don't get any second opportunities either. Or very rarely you see it and you miss a shot. That's it. You know, spots over. Um, whereas in Australia, sometimes you can shoot multiple snapper out of a, a school if you're on the right spot um, and the right conditions. So yeah, yeah just very challenging. Um, yeah. The flip just, side, I guess, is quite rewarding. I, I mean, I, I, super rewarding. Um, I'd, I'd first seen those fish on oh, probably you you won't remember this. Um, Ben, but there was a magazine called Deep Worldwide by a Greek uh, right. chap who's, who's sadly passed now, but he would make DVDs on a, a magazine cover maybe mm-hmm. 10, 12, 13, 15 years ago. I think it is now, like it's quite a while ago. And he was always you know, making videos about these Dentex and how cool they were and elusive. And I saw those and I was like, I'm going to shoot one of those one day. Um, and I got a bit obsessed with them, especially moving over to uh, Europe. I thought, well, I'm going to have a crack at these. And I thought, yeah, I'll go to the med. I'll shoot one. They can't be that hard, but oh my word. It's just for me, very difficult um, fish, but I feel like the monkey's off the back a bit now. So I could probably relax and maybe a bit more successful. That's cool. You got any other um, elusive fish that you're after? Well, there's a pink dentex, um, <laughs> a, a, a dentex gibbosus. And I saw one in Zakynthos mm-hmm. when I was there. It's a, a pargo, they call it. And, um, if you want to shoot one of those, you're best off going to maybe the Canaries or something like that to, to target them. But I'm not utterly obsessed with them. They look cool, but I, yeah. could, I could die happily not shooting one. Um, <laughs> I don't tasty know what's, fish? Uh, yeah, pretty tasty. I've, uh, the Dentex, they're pretty good to eat. Um, I wouldn't say they are you know, out of this world uh, great to eat, but um, yeah, they're a very fine table fish. Um, but nice. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say any better than a a bass or something like that, apart from the taste of success, that's about the only thing giving it extra, <laughs> extra zest. Which is pretty sweet. Uh, you shot a nice amberjack um, on a shore dive for the med as well. I think that was the I one did. where you took it back and cooked it up in the fire pit. In the grill. The, oh, yeah. It just looked amazing. It, it was delicious. It was pretty tasty, actually. I, I mean, I would, I would have rather eaten the amberjack than a yeah. dentex, to be honest, um, after tasting that. But for, for an amberjack, um, it, it, I've got a very skewed perspective on amberjack because in australia where i'm from i really shoot them that much um in brisbane like we get a often get a a hyphen amberjack just Mm -hmm. slightly different species um but i saw a bunch of brisbane when i was there um in october i i you'd see him 10 uh Seven, eight kilos, and you're like, eh, whatever. You just keep swimming past them. You don't. That's weird, isn't it? You can't even. It it is weird. So, so when I shot that amberjack, I was like, oh, this is. Ah, it's like a six kilo amberjack. This is cool, but I was like, oh, I'm in the Mediterranean. This is actually cool. (laughs) Um, So it's it's all it's all relative, um, which I like as well, and I like understanding the significance of fish in in one part of the world versus other uh, parts of the world. I mean, I shot a barracuda in Greece, and. I've never met a Mediterranean spearfisher that won't shoot a barracuda, but then I posted some videos about it and everyone's given me who's, who's this idiot. Who's this dickhead that's shooting a barracuda. Who's this loser. Um, (laughs) Why would you shoot one of those? And I'm just like, you, it's just clearly, it's just different in different places. What's the the problem? I don't understand. It was fantastic sashimi. Um, Yeah, really. I've, I've had it in a pasta before in, Sorry, pasta for all those UK listeners. <laughs> <laughs> some some things don't change. 
Um, <laughs> I've had it in a, a bucatini in in Italy before, and it's mm. and it's fantastic to eat. But I, I just I really love doing love learning that part about spearfishing in different places. Is um, I guess it kind of keeps you a bit um, grounded and, and humble about people's catches um, mm-hmm. because it's easy to you know it's easy to hate on someone in the UK going oh you shot a ras you're an idiot but in the med people you're talking love to those me. things. No, I'm not. I, I would never hate on anyone for shooting a ras. I, mean, I love ras. Hey, I've I've shot a handful of ras and I've enjoyed eating every single one of them. I mean, people often use the argument, "Oh, they're too dumb to shoot." You know, there's no challenge in shooting it. Like, well, I would say there's not a single person that says that about ras that would that would swim over a five kilo turbot on the grounds that it's too easy to shoot. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, no, the same, no, the same it, it with doesn't happen. and it any other happen. flatfish or lobsters and crabs, you know, yeah, lobsters it, and crabs for me personally, or scallops, you know, yeah. there's another thing. Scallops don't run away. <laughs> like, well, are no, we no, bad people for catching scallops? Um, but yeah. uh, no, ras is lovely. But and so uh, w- with everything that you've done in the med, um, are there any tips that you'd give people going out there spearfishing um, aside from just having a guide? Um, if they're going out there without a guide, what would you give them info-wise? I would say try and get off the beaten path um, a bit everywhere that's easy to get to. Is Everybody's going there. Uh, I mean, mm. I've, I've done some big shore dives. Uh, I think when I was in uh, Rhodes, I did a shore dive. I swam around. I, I, I lost a Dentex there once. That uh, And some of the holes that I was looking in afterwards had spear shafts in them. It's like freaking out. Like I'm, oh. I've I've swam a long way here, and then there's somebody's somebody not only spearfishing there, but had a red hot go that they've lost a shaft inside a cave by shooting something on a shore dive that's one and a half kilometers from the nearest beach access point. I think you know this place does get shot up a bit. So I would I would go with low expectations, and I would probably just enjoy the the clear water, but also have to be quite careful um, in that clear water because it's so easy to get into deep water very quickly and, and like unknowingly especially when it's warm i mean i was when i was there there's some places i'm diving in oh, actually that spot in zakynthos where i shot the amberjack i saw that pargo um i saw it at 28 or 29 meters and i saw it go over a boulder probably into 35 40 meters which cool. is a hell of a long way down but yeah. you're there it's it's warm water you're in a three mil wetsuit it feels like you're wearing nothing i've got one kilo of lead on my belt and it's very easy to try you know it's you just have to be very careful about what you're doing there because it's so easy to just go oh i can see the bottom i can get to it because generally anywhere in the uk if you can see the bottom it's not deeper than 15 meters most of the Mm. time which is you know drastically safer than um 35 meters um so that's that's one piece of advice i would say you know just be careful of the, the the clear water. Take scissors because there's heaps of lionfish out there. So if you don't shoot anything else, you can shoot lionfish and just cut the spines off when you're out there. Take scissors on your float. Just buy some from the shop or take them with you uh, because they're delicious. They're probably the tastiest thing to eat there, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and what else would I say about the Mediterranean? Oh, yeah, just you have to be – everything has to be slow. Everything has to be calculated. It's a real – art form i guess of diving it's, it's really hard to explain why it's difficult but i just think for me everything has to be everything has to go right 
Whereas in the UK, you know, I've done some horrible dives where you hit the bottom, you kick up sand, you belt your fins on a, a rock, and then a bass comes out and says, hello, and then you <laughs> shoot it in the face. That doesn't happen. It's just not, you're not going to get lucky in that sense. So, um, yeah. but it's a really, it's a really great training ground because it forces you to adapt or, you know, give up. So I've, I've gone for the, the long um, adaptation route and, and finally shooting one or two fish. Um, in a trip, which um, I'm happy about. Nice, epic, and th- these films are epic. What, what kind of um, what was your drive to get started with filming these things? And did you oh. see it leading to where you are now? Never saw it leading to. I didn't see it leading anywhere. Actually, um, in 2012, I think it was, or 2000, yeah, 2011, 2012, maybe. I think the GoPro Hero mm-hmm. Three. Black came out and all my mates uh, that I was diving with, uh, which was about three people, um, <laughs> my mates that I was diving with, they were all filming with these other contour cameras and they were sending their clips into a spearfishing magazine in Australia and putting a DVD on the cover of the magazine. And I thought, oh, well, you know, um, if everybody else is cool. filming, sure, I'll, I'll give it a go. And then um, my wife, uh, fiance at the time, uh, now wife, her family and she and my other, my side of the family all put in and got me a GoPro for Christmas. And uh, I just started filming stuff. And then I think it got to about two years later and being a very obsessive person wanting to make things the best and they possibly could be. I thought we need to do something other than kill shot montages. We need to make these videos great. And then I bought a, um, a mirrorless camera and just kind of taught myself from YouTube tutorials. And then end of 2015, moved to the UK, didn't have a job for a while. And I was sick of being an electrician. And I thought, well, maybe I can start a new life here, um, being a cinematographer or something like that. And so I just, the only thing I could practice on editing and shooting was my spearfishing stuff. So I thought, mm-hmm. oh, great. I'll, I'll give that a go. And then a couple of years later, managed to get a job full-time at a production company in London hung up the sparky tools for a bit and um yeah just got a lot of training there shooting you know five days a week sort of thing so just learning either shooting or editing and just accelerated that process and yeah i tried to translate that into my youtube videos um just because i what's your workflow like you you obviously got a few different cameras i've seen you got one on the head sometimes one on the gun sometimes your big camera on your float what what's yeah. your kind of typical setup? And also, you know, what do you do at the end? Is it like put together in Final Cut Pro or what's the um so t- typical sort of things I'll take. I take my um mirrorless camera, which is a Sony A7S3, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a crazy um way too overkill for YouTube videos, but I love it. It's a great <laughs> camera. I use it I use it for work as well, so that's how I justified it. Um shoots amazing video quality. I have a really nice um 16 to 35 millimeter lens for it, which is wide enough on a boat. Because despite you being on a boat, it's a very tight space to film on. So you need quite a wide lens. Um, the autofocus on it is God tier, which is great because you can just hand it to someone and say, point this at me and I'll be in focus, which is great. So it's um, pretty good that way. Um, take a GoPro on my head, um, normally filming on my head. I don't really like the gun mount because you know, the gun weighs to one side. Yeah. Um, I also don't particularly like the angle that much. Um, because as soon as, you know, if you drop your gun, you miss all the action. Um, then I always forget, I don't know, I've just got this sort of instinctive habit now of filming on with a GoPro on my head for 10 years that, uh, you know, take my last, I hit the the button on my head, take my last breath, snorkel out. And that's my dive routine. So if I dive without mm. a GoPro, I feel really naked because I, I reach up and <laughs> yeah, yeah. probably a bad thing. 
Do you do it on a like a head strap or do you have like a mask with a um woggle on it? Head strap always because yeah. then you can take it off. And yeah. um there's a little trick with the head strap when you put it over your head. If you pull one side of the strap under and tuck it under your snorkel, it, it won't if it yeah. does fall off, it's attached to your mask. I've I lost two GoPros um prior to my good friend Timothy telling me, Oh, I start- <laughs> I learned, I did this technique after I saw you lose two GoPros. Like, oh, that's handy information <laughs> well, now, mate. Funny you should um, say that, Dan, because I, I um, remember you giving that tip on one of your YouTube videos, or maybe it was a Neve Spiro. It, it, was a, it was a video years ago, yeah. Well, I did that and I lost my GoPros. Yeah. I was <laughs> going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know what With it was. With it tucked under. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway. Oh, no. I, the funny thing is, I found it the next day on the beach, um, which is pretty, pretty lucky. Uh, but it's, it's definitely not foolproof, is what I would say. Um, no, it, it's still, yeah. I, I would say if you're diving a lot, replace your head strap every year because the yeah. elastic wears out. Yeah, um, yeah. And then it, that also introduces a lot of shake into your head, particularly with these new GoPros. They're massive now. Like the, mm. the tens, the nines, and the tens are huge. And you really feel them on your head versus the, the sevens. Like the seven for me was the, the perfect size, um, like form factor. Um, the battery lasted a decent amount of time and that sort of thing. But just like, there's better things out now. So talking yeah. about head straps, I know in, uh, I used to. Well, I've got a what is it? Is it a ten? I think it's a ten black or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I had the I can't remember whether it was a bow shot or some other kind of mask with the GoPro mount on the mask, and we were out in one of the local haunts and um, anyway, I had the GoPro on, swam through a load of like uh, string weed, and sort of forced my way through. Anyway, yeah. ten minutes later, I've then got leaking coming through the mask. And I'm like, what the fuck is that about and i then yeah. realized sort of casting my mind back i'd torn effectively the mask off of my face and dislodged the rubber from the mask perfect um, and it was just like oh great well that's ruined the fucking dive then thanks to be fair yeah. you did carry on diving for another hour i did fish after that as well yeah. you, so. i was just spending the whole time with my head on its left blowing through my nose like oh, a fucking scuba diver trying to keep the water from coming in my mask. That's why I don't use a, a yeah. GoPro mask. I think just, especially in the UK, with like you say, kelp, stringweed, um, and if you're looking in holes, if you're further you know, in Sussex and that sort of stuff, looking in a lot of holes, Dorset, um, just bumping it on that could just really ruin a dive, whereas if you bump it on your head strap, it may not be the perfect angle, but at least your mask yeah. is going to be on your head and that sort of thing. Plus I like, sometimes I, I take it off and you know, give myself a selfie underwater or something like that or on the surface. And it just makes it a bit easier um, mm. to do. And then sometimes I have a big camera. Um, at my last work, I had a Panasonic GH5 in a naughty cam housing, which is a big aluminium bulletproof housing thing, which produced stunning images, but you know, quite a lot of effort to swim out on a shore dive without yeah, a float. And also, yeah, I can't justify buying one of those myself yet at the moment i mean that that was for a specific job in um in timor-leste which is in indonesia well it's its own country but it's around that part of the world i was there for a documentary about cetaceans and they needed this camera and the housing for the camera with the dome port was three and a half grand um and that's sterling and then the camera was only uh, the camera and lens was only like two grand which is just mental so all up you're sort of swimming around with you know, basically a, you know, a, 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 two, a, a 2012 <laughs> golf on your float equivalently, you know, like that's what you, that's the kind of money you spend, like six grand you're spending um, to swim around in your float. You think, geez, I hope I don't 
lose this. Um, so I had the luxury of borrowing that when I was, uh, when I worked at the production company that I did, but you now I took my sabbatical. Um, I'm a freelancer now, but yeah, so that, that was, um, that was saying cool... that the, um, one of the instructors that I went out with, um, with go freediving guys, the, uh, the first course I ever did getting into spearfishing, um, was a freediving course over in Tenerife and, uh, Pash, who's, uh, really, I don't know whether she's really well known, but she's a bloody good underwater photographer. Um, and she had one of these cameras in a full kit with the dual handles either side of it and the lights. And anyway, it was like 15 grand. Oh, it's, it's outrageous. Like, it's like fucking hell! You're only taking photos. I'm like, just take a GoPro. <laughs> like, or, like, just take your phone. <laughs> yeah, good photos though. Like, you get um, different size sensors in them, don't you? And then the one in the GoPro is pretty small. So oh, whenever there's tiny. a cloud in the sky, like the picture quality just takes a dive, right? GoPros are great when there's a, a heap of light around, but they they do struggle when it's a bit um, darker. But also, there's the practicalities of the GoPros, maybe. Sorry about that. Can you can you hear that? Only uh, a little it's bit. Fine. Okay, it's fine. you can only hear the baby a little bit. Okay. <laughs> it, it sounds like Stop a cat it. meowing. So it's okay, <laughs> we'll say we'll say there's a cat outside. It's my niece. Sorry, she doesn't want to go to bed. Um, uh, what we talking about? Oh yeah, the GoPro. The great thing about the GoPro is it's so easy to dive with. So the practicalities of it mean that you probably end up with more footage that's okay than trying to carry around one of those big camera rigs. Like I've, I think I've used that big camera rig, and I think of the deepest I've taken. It's maybe like. 25 meters and it's a hell of a long way to swim with a huge mm. one um there's I, i'm sure you would have seen uh david Oshoa, a portuguese guy he makes just the best spearfishing films that i've ever seen um like when i say what do, what do i want my videos to look like i want my videos to look like david Oshoa's. he swims down he dives 40 meters 45 meters is one of these things filming people it's absolutely insane and wow. um yeah, hats off to him because his footage looks awesome. But yeah, that's, I mean, if you, the thing about it is if you're going to be taking one of those, you need to be, if you're going to be investing in one of those, you need to be able to make money out of it. Or you got to be really mm. flush with cash just to have a nice toy. But um, yeah, it's, it's a, they are cool. They do produce a much better image, but for the majority of the stuff, your GoPro is great because it's easy to take along. It's in an affordable price range for most, most divers. I mean, if you, if you've got a set of carbon fins, you can more than likely afford a, a GoPro or something like that. Mm. So, mm. And you were yeah. testing out the DJI Osmo or something like that? Yeah, so they yeah, they reached out and um, asked uh, if I wanted to test one and maybe just see what I thought and mm. do some uh, content for them. And I really like the camera because it hasn't frozen on me once. Um, <laughs> the battery life is seems much better than my Hero 10 and... The stabilizations on it's great. Uh, the the video looks really tasty and crispy. They're releasing an update. It's supposed to be on Friday, I think, but I think it might have got delayed. But uh, to add ten bit color to it, which is what the new GoPro 11s have. Um, if you that means nothing to most people, but most of your your Go GoPros film in eight bit color. So um, video is made up of red, green, uh, blue pixels and a um, a brightness value. So when you've got four pixel uh, four values in a cluster. Of a pixel it's brightness and a mix of rgb uh, when you have eight bit color you have 256 um shades of blue 256 shades of red 256 shades of green and that's all you've got to work with when you have 10 bit color you have a thousand and twenty four i think it's a thousand and twenty four um colors per channel so you've got you know four uh, you got a butt ton more information and um it just makes 
grading your footage a lot easier. Um, you don't get those horrible big bands that you see in the sky, you know, or underwater you see big like blocky sort of bands and that sort of stuff on your footage. So that'll be a fantastic little um, you know, update to the the camera when they when they finally get that into there. But yeah, I really like the Osmo. I'm probably going to use that over my GoPro because the audio sounds good as well inside the housing. And that's a big problem that I have with the GoPros is when they're in a housing, they have that sort of they got this like yeah this hissy sound it's um, like noise reduction isn't it i think it's like detecting whether there's underwater or wind or something like that and it's muffling when the it's sound. A, I, I think it's when it's in that clear housing hmm. the, the waterproof one it's it you know it's kind of echoing inside there but bouncing around in some sort of infinite loop of trying right. to reduce yeah. the noise and kind of destroying it because i have to go through noise reduction on every single one of my clips hmm. if i use the tech and but ironically my hero 7 it doesn't do it um, for some reason, oh, yeah. even in the housing. So that's why I always carry Hero 7 on my float inside the housing because I can talk to it and I can get okay audio out of it when I'm at sea. Um, but the Osmo doesn't have that problem either. So it's, you know, three, four years older, a newer camera tech. So I'll probably, probably going to use that. Um, cool. I'll tell you the biggest years. problem I have with the, um, with the GoPros, I can't tell whether I've turned it on or not because the sounds are the same for when you're turning it on and off. So you, they are different. You... <laughs> the bloody beeps. Yeah. Have you just got um, used to that over, over the years or have you lost as much footage as I have? I I don't often lose footage, to be honest, um, but I do use the uh, the one button on mode, the, the, the yeah, quick yeah, capture yeah. mode. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I think I, I, I mean, yeah, I don't. I always use that that quick capture mode, and you kind. Of, I think it the the sounds are different. I think that the end, they are. The GoPro it ten, true. it's like the, the, it's the, like, the it's thing like, that I think you, you get because yeah. you've got the beep beep beep, and then you got beep 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 beep, and you got three or five or something. Yeah, like it's that. a bit weird. Yeah, and but it's it's when you when you're out diving, you forget that you have turned it on. Yeah, you then think you've already turned it off. You go to turn it on before you dive, and you're turning it off. And so then what you, you end up doing it, yeah. is recording every surface interval. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you can fuck. get into a bit of a, you can get into a bit of a mare like that. Yeah. Um, I think the easiest way sometimes with the head strap, you just pull it forward and look, you can just yeah. do that on, on the front screen. It's probably um, a pretty good oh, shout. Yeah. That's a top yeah, tip. We were going to ask you, do you have any tips for aspiring content makers that can be the, uh, the top tip anymore? Um, uh, yeah. Uh, if you're using your GoPro, if you want to extend the battery life, Turn the screen brightness down to ten percent. Turn the front screen off. Oh yeah. Uh, turn the tally lights off, so the the red lights, because I don't know. I think it's I don't know if it scares fish, but I just turn them off with an extra battery. Put the screensaver on for one minute, so you can't entirely turn the rear screen off. But when it's on your head, you don't need the rear screen. So after one minute, it'll turn off. Um, and yeah, that's that should extend the battery life out quite a bit. Also depends on which frame rates. And resolutions you record in to change your battery life. Um, if you've got a GoPro 10 or 11 or a 9, I think, if you get one of the Enduro batteries, mm-hmm. they're reportedly much better. Um, I haven't used one yet. I was getting about 10 minutes more footage out of white than the standard battery. So it's it's not a drastic amount, but it was not huge, yeah. But it's I mean, it's no 10 minutes to... or something. If you I don't th- forget, th- if you don't forget to turn your GoPro off, you can you can get a decent dive out of it. Really. <laughs> well, one of the first mistakes I made when I first got my GoPro was I was like, "Yeah, I've got GoPro. I'm into spear fishing. I'll put it in my head." As soon as I got in, I was putting my fins on. I was like, "Right, I'll press record now." And then an hour and twenty minutes later, I've done fuck all. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, I've got to change the battery out. 
instead i then spoke i think it was ben actually it said yeah. to me like why are you recording the whole time it's like <laughs> press record when you dive and then turn it off when you get back up and it was like suddenly you know, like hey? record an entire day on one battery it's like oh Christ, yeah there is a there is a lot to be said for those. Uh, I think it was the old Hero 4 was the last one to have it, but they had a little battery mod you could put on because they didn't have screens on the back then. You could either put a screen on the back or you could put an extra battery, which um, oh, doubled wow. your battery capacity. And you'd know um, where I was diving in Brisbane with that. Um, you'd know if you had a big day, if you went through, if your GoPro was flat at the end of the day, because oh, you we'd be diving sort of 6 a.m. till 7 p.m. in the summer sort of thing. Um, you might do 40 decent dives for the day, um, you know, like in deeper sort of water and that. But if you could, if you were still recording at the end of the day, I mean, if it went flat before the end of the day, um, you, you'd had a good day. Um, nice. But yeah, they seem to favor having a screen. I like having a screen, but for the head mount stuff, yeah. you don't really need a screen. Oh. Um, so your YouTube, um, how many, how many subscribers, isn't it? How many subscribers have you got? Uh, Hundred and ninety six thousand. So that means have have you got a plaque? Oh, yeah, I got I got a silver. I got a <laughs> You've silver got a plaque. plaque. Holy yeah, shit, I, I, so I, I got one uh, in twenty twenty. <laughs> actually, in, in in COVID year, I got I got one in the middle of twenty twenty. Well, what, what's the so I do have plan? one. Is it quarter of a million? No, they don't give you a squat for a quarter of a million. Uh you get you get one at a million. <laughs> you get a gold one at a million. But um, oh, so it's a hundred thousand, then a million, then. 10 million and then 50 million, then 50 million and then they had to make a new one for Mr. Beast when he got to 100 million. I was going to say, you know, we need to get you in touch with Mr. Beast and see if we can yeah. get some of his subscribers. Yeah. Well, I, I think um, it, it, it is a mind-boggling number when you think about 196,000 people that that's, you know, Twicken, Twickenham twice over just about sort of thing, which is... Oh, it's amazing. Which is nuts, but... Um, and yeah, how many views do you get on average on a video? Oh, this is a contentious point. Uh, depends on the video. Like some, uh, I never know what video is going to take off. Honestly, I literally close my eyes, press the button, and say, "I hope this video does well." Mm. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Some videos do well. I mean, I've got more video. I got more views on me having twenty-five minutes in Greece, not shooting a single friggin' fish. Um, I've, I've got one hundred and fifty thousand views on a video that's got no fish in Greece. And then I get a video of me shooting a Dentex in Greece and it gets a tenth of the views. I just, yeah, I don't really understand. was the video clip thing of your chest because that's an enticing thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe it is. Maybe I need to get much, maybe I need to get my, uh, my pecs out a little bit more. That's it. Clickbait. Yeah. <laughs> I, sometimes I think you need to have boobs to get, um, uh, to get, uh, views in, in the spearfishing sector at the moment. But anyway. <laughs> That's no, right. I'm not going to comment on that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get in trouble. Um, so what, what's next for your, the channel? Any any big plans that you can tell us about? Anything in the pipeline that we can get a um, hint on? Well, I'm I'm kind of uh, freelancing, just doing uh, editing and cinematography jobs at the moment, and then trying to treat the YouTube stuff a bit more seriously, like a, like a full-time job, um, which I'm having mild success at um trying to do i'm working with my wife trying to um you know plan out what's going to come out and mm. varying audiences and that sort of stuff so i will be producing a lot more content and obviously over the summer diving in so many different places i've got lots of videos backlogged i think i shot four terabytes over the summer 
I'm trying to be conservative on, on the footage as well. Uh, but next video I've got coming out, some freshwater European championships in Finland, which was pretty cool competition to go to um, on, on Team GB. And then I've got quite, I think it's some of the coolest stuff I've shot um, in New Zealand. I did some really cool catch and cooks there as well. Dive some really cool places. I've never been to New Zealand before. I was there for my sister's wedding. So it was really cool to go out with um, Jackson Shields, who's his dad's kind of like the Don of um, New Zealand spearfishing and his son, um, you know, apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Probably, you know, you know, there's people that you meet that you are too nice and chilled and just a nice human. Like, I don't know if you're actually real or like there's, you know, I don't know if you've ever met someone like that. Most, most of the time you meet those people, they're Canadian, but this guy, him and his, his partner, just incredibly lovely. I also went out with another guy um, on Instagram who messaged me and said, Hey, I dive this place called white Island. It's incredible. Love to show you around. I said, sure. So we went out there and it was incredible. It's an, it's a volcano uh, that's still live and yeah, you know, 50 clicks offshore, really cool sort of area to dive, shot some cool fish. Um, and then Australia did, the usual sort of stuff. Oddly, I wasn't that excited about um, diving in Australia because I think my sensory overload of diving all these new places in you know, this year has kind of made it when I go back to Australia, I'm a bit like, eh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really, yeah, it's, it's, it sounds very sort of arrogant to say that I wasn't that excited, but yeah, something about, I don't know, I just, uh, not that I've been there and done that as such, but I mean, there's so many things I would love to do even off my hometown and the, the fish that I like to shoot. But I think it reinforced, it was more about just hanging out with good mates. I mean, that was, that was better than the actual diving. I mean, there was one trip I did, um, my, probably my best dive mate there, Timothy, um, you know, we went looking for Barabundi and it was just nice to be out with him on my boat. I mean, you know, I did, Shot. We both shot Barramundi pretty early on in the day, and just spent the next eight hours, you know, just looking at different spots and chatting. And it was just really like I, it was a thirteen and a half kilo Barramundi is you know the, the holy grail for Barramundi fishermen is a, a meter long fish, and it's like a meter and six. And I've shot a bunch that size, and you know, I was like, oh yeah, I was pretty stoked because I hadn't shot one in you know, like eight years or something. But also at the same time, I was like, oh, just today, you know, just maybe a bit more into being with people and taking it all in and being out there rather than just going, I'm, I want to shoot a trophy or something every time. Mm. Maybe I'm just getting old or something, but yeah, it just re reinforced that I wanted to, I, I like sharing with family because I, I came back and I've got a fish that's the size of my nephew and he's trying to hold it up and that <laughs> sort of stuff's cool. Cause I, I you know, I, I, I got a new appreciation for taking them out on a boat because I remember my uncles took me out on boats when I was younger and that's a for me, I, I remember that I remember those memories very vividly. So I thought, oh, I know, I know, I had that one of those, oh, this this all clicks moment sort of thing. Where I thought, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I need to, you know, share this these experiences with you know nieces and nephews and that sort of stuff. So maybe the the fishing, like what the fish were, was probably a, a secondary thought compared to, um, you know, the actual activity itself, which is just being out there. I mean, yeah. So and, that's and sharing the food as about. well, I guess. That I, one thing I've noticed in your videos is a lot about sharing the food when you come back. There's always like you know a load of people tucking into these awesome meals that you've you've cooked up. Is that um, where do you get your chefing skills from? Have you spent time training there, or is that just like trial and error? Yeah. Or? Never done any <laughs> chef training. Um, my 
my older brother and my older sister all went through the same, I guess, um, parental training. Yeah. That's you turn to 14, you either pay rent or you cook once a week. Um, <laughs> Uh, just, just for life lessons, not because, you know, they need Sounds like a good rest. deal. Yeah, it was, it was just, you know, you're going to need to feed yourself one day. And uh, my folks didn't want me growing up on microwave meals. And so I made really shit food um, for, for the first bit. And <laughs> how do I turn a fry pan on? You know, it's, it's a weird thing to, I don't know, I guess, you know, people on of our vintage, you think that, or cooking, I mean, how can you not? sustain yourself but yeah. you know at some stage you didn't know how to actually make your own food which is bizarre i mean you can make a sandwich but um yeah so i guess just always doing that my my family were quite big up on having people around and hosting them and having people for dinner and that sort of community style um event you know just putting on a nice spread and having people around and that's what i love to do i i one of the things I think in, in the lockdowns that was big for me is if I did go diving, because I was diving a lot more because I was furloughed. Um, so I'd always have a lot of fish and scallops and that sort of stuff. And I would just get six people around because that was the limit. You'd have six people at the place. You just mm-hmm. bunch of wine, bunch of home court food and you know, just chat for eight hours and drink wine and have good food. And that just, uh, it's oddly um, some of the fondest memories I've got of the last couple of years. I mean, as, as terrible as, COVID has been for everything. There was some things that were good as, you know, forcing you to do these things together. And yeah, that, that's just Making one thing. Best I really out of a bad situation. Yeah. I got to go diving lots. I got to hang out with my mates a lot more. It was, it and was get good paid. <laughs> and get paid. Yeah. I love being paid. Um, can, can we go back there? Um, <laughs> yeah. too, too soon. Bring back furlough. Bring back yeah. furlough. Um, yeah. So is it, you, you mentioned scallops there. Um, yes. Do you do any other kind of foraging other than just scallops? I tried to razor clams once because I saw these two, the two pipey hole things, and I I took a photo or I took a video for Joe, Joe Park. I'm good mates with Joe, and because he's quite good on the razor clams, and I, he said, "Oh yeah, they look like razor clams." I went there with the salt, and they weren't razor clams. They were some giant. Um, I think they're like a big gaper clam or something that has a mm-hmm. similar looking. I didn't get anything, so I gave up on that. But I don't really, I haven't really done anything other than scallops. Um, I'm a bit wary of mussels because everyone says that. If you get them off the wrong thing, you're going to die and all that sort of stuff. Um, what else? I'll have, to, I'll have to make you a proper more marinier someday with the proper, oh, yes. with, with the scallops from the Torbay. Uh, not scallops, sorry, mussels. Um, it's really, really Did you just give away a scallop spot on the uh, podcast? <laughs> no. You can say Torbay. But yeah, no, the, the, the mussels from Torbay are really nice, especially if you get them from the right places. Um, mm. But again, I think we, we were talking about this um, last episode about the, the getting them in the month with an R um, is fine. Yeah. And as long as they're not sort of estuary bound, um, yes. then yeah, as long as it's not during the summer months, they're, they're, yeah, they're pretty, we, pretty decent. We have a similar, um, you know, month with our thing in mm-hmm. where I'm from in Brisbane. If you, you don't get crabs, unless there's an R, uh, if there's a, unless there's an R in the month, yeah, because uh, then it's, it's summer. So you don't get them otherwise. But, um, I, I, do, I did just remember then I foraged a green lip mussel off a rock, um, in New Zealand at a place called hot water beach. There's a geothermal vein that runs under the beach. I don't know if you've ever been there. You're nodding like you've been there, Ben. Well, I've um, been to New Zealand. I really want to dive there. That's you know um, on my bucket list now. But no, I the fish are so easy. You'll shoot heaps of fish. Um, 
but there's this hot water beach and you, you know, you dig a hole in the sand and it's like freaking burning hot. There's some pools that you you dig and they're too hot to be. And I thought, <laughs> this would be cool if I can cook a muscle in the set. So I um, <laughs> nabbed one of these muscles off the thing and then dug a hole in the sand. It was freaking really hot. Um, and then put the muscle in and I'm like, oh, don't lose that spot. And I was like, oh, this is a great idea. This would be a cool little YouTube short or something like that. Filmed it on the GoPro uh, just there and then got the muscle out and realized when it actually cooked, it opened up and filled with sand. <laughs> um, so then I, then I ran back down to the beach and washed it off and then it was cold. So I'm like, is it actually cooked? And ate it and it was full of sand. And, um, <laughs> but the mussels looked really tasty there. So. You can always try again. It's fine. Yeah, you, can always, you can always try again. Yeah. Um, but not, not really much of that sort of, you know, foraging where, you know, not like fish locker style where you're eating, you know, like getting crabs and lobsters and that sort of stuff on low tides. And that. I guess if I'm going to make the journey to the coast from London, I'm going spearfishing. Yeah. Mm. No, nice. And so spearfishing and sort of how it varies internationally. Um, I'd yes. say obviously UK, Oz, and all of the places that you've been. Um where's where's your favorite? I mean, they're all they're all so different for many different reasons. Um I mean, like Australia's great because there's so many different species it's easy to shoot a big fish. I don't care what anyone says. Shooting a big fish is a nice feeling. You know, shooting something that's five kilos sometimes generally feels a lot better than shooting something that's one kilo. That's just the way mm-hmm. it is. Um, uh, so there's lots of fish there, although but ton of sharks off Brisbane now. It's outrageous the amount of sharks there. So I didn't really enjoy that that much this time around. Um, never used to be like that. Um, New Zealand, really cool because... It's shallow, most of the stuff. There's a load of different species that I've never shot before. We get some of them in Australia. So some of them you only get in New Zealand, some of them you get in Australia as well. So I was just shooting all the anything that I'm like, oh, I'd only ever get that if I was in southern Australia. So I was shooting all the the temperate fish, um, much to Jackson and Sophie's delight, because they're like, Yeah, you're a tourist, you're shooting these fish because they don't really <laughs> shoot them. Um New Zealand's great for that because it, it's just easy to get a feed and the amount of quality seafood that they have on offer there is awesome. So if you want a place just to go get a feed and have fun, New Zealand's it, except they probably do get a great whites. I didn't see any sharks when I was there, but there's seals everywhere that I went. I was like, mm, if there's, if there's great white jelly beans, there's great whites somewhere. Um, mm. But I also love the UK. There's such a variety of um, easily accessible, tasty stuff scallops lobsters crabs you know you get the spider crab march in you get um you know bass are great to eat and pollock they're fun to shoot you get the occasional gilt head um and it's relatively shallow water uh, but it's cold so that's maybe a negative for for some people and then there's not generally speaking not any sharks to worry about in the uk um just the mediterranean it's great because it's clear it's often warm but there's not many fish to supplement that there's you you know you're the, unlu- the unluckiest person on the world if you see a shark in the Mediterranean, um, in that sense. But it's also very rewarding when you do get to fish. So it's hard to say like one is the favorite place. But I mean, I guess if you told me that there was only one place I could dive again for the rest of my life, I'd probably have to say Brisbane though, just because nice. anything can happen. Um, Amazing. Cool. Yeah. Oh, I think we're going to move on to uh, listeners' questions. So yeah, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, how how big is it? Well, um, normally we have what is it like two or three? three? I thought that was going to be a listener question. How <laughs> there big is are forty three hundred <laughs> questions. Look out! 
Fire away. We, we, we've go. got about 15. We go. We'll, take, we'll yep. take it in turns, mate. You kick us off. Ben, you go for it. All right. Uh, any advice for those trying blue water spearfishing for the first time? Don't pull the trigger until you can see the eyeball of the fish because otherwise you're not close enough, generally speaking. Um, when you think you're close, get closer. A lot of those pelagic blue water fish, um, wahoo, Spanish mackerel are kind of a blue water fish that you get them on reef. And anyway, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of those fish, um, they're big, so they're not going to bugger off quite as quickly as reef fish. Um, so you can, you know, put in a few kicks just to close the gap, um, often on those like wahoo particularly. Um, but most of the time the wahoo, they're going to swim up to you anyway. Uh, kingfish as well, you know, you can put in a big kick and get a bit closer to them. But you really want to be able to see detail. Um, if you want a great example of how not to do it, I have a video entitled My First Time Spearfishing Dogtooth Tuna where I missed, I didn't shoot a single wahoo in 10 days um, in Tonga and I probably shot at a dozen. And some like whoppers, like some of them were just absolute logs, like 30 kg plus. Um, I missed dogtooth tuna all because one, I didn't test this gun and two, just wasn't close enough because the water was just... Mm -hmm. You can see the bottom Crystal. in Ford. You can see that like from the boat one day, we got to this place um, over the side of the boat. You could see the sand in 35 meters. You clearly see the ripples over the side and you're no dying. Way. You could, you could see, you could see what species you could tell the difference between a mangrove jack and a red bass on the bottom in 40 meters. Easy. It was just crazy. Um, <laughs> and that, that plays havoc on you. Um, so yeah, just when you think you're close enough, get closer again. That's what I'd say for blue water and, and use enough gun. Don't um don't go don't take a you know an air rifle to shoot an elephant. Um, use enough gun and test it. Yeah. What happens after you have two or more pints? Oh, as famously two pint Dan, um, I <laughs> I probably uh, uh you know default back to the colonial roots and uh, the accent probably gets a bit stronger, uh, a bit more lippy, etc. But um, you'll have to find out. Um, if you ever come to the, the LIC pairs competition next year, I'll probably more than likely have two pints and find out. <laughs> first hand. It's I, such I'm, a shame I, it was cancelled this year. Yeah. yeah we got I, I, I was, um, I was abroad, so I wasn't, um, mm -hmm. too disappointed, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a small frame and after a day of spearfishing, generally most people are the same, they're dehydrated. So two pints in and I'm, um, pretty knackered. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next one. Um, your most memorable fish as a beginner. Memorable fish as a beginner. Oh, probably got probably got two. The first one I remember, I think it was summer of 2003. I went to the Sunshine Coast and I think I dived in an area that I possibly wasn't supposed to dive, um, unbeknownst to me. And I went under a, a pier and um, I think I was like, 14 or 15 at the time. And I shot a mangrove jack, which is uh, like a small tropical snap. Well, they get quite big, but the tropical snapper, it was two and a half kilos. And I was super proud, but I didn't know how to fill it to fish. And so I had to wait for dad. He was coming up that evening. I was proud as punch to go, hey, I shot something I can, you know, we can actually eat it, you know, not just eating it out of sympathy. Um, <laughs> and probably the other one that it, sort of beginner, um, I think it was 2000 and seven or 2000 i think 2007 i went for a shore dive um 
yeah, it was actually, it was the, it was my dad's birthday in 2007 or 2006. Um, I went for a shore dive and I was at this place called Kingscliff. It's probably the best shore dive spot, um, close to Brisbane. Um, you know, you name it, anything's been shot there. You can, I've seen Mulloway, Marlin, I've shot Wahoo in 11 meters of water. I've shot Spanish mackerel, snapper, all sorts of stuff. And I was there and Ray Powell, who makes dive Athens, um, he he's, he was in my club and he just drove past the car park as I was suiting up and it was howling northly. And when you get a howling northly at that time of year, it, the water's green and dirty and cold and generally not going to shoot anything. And he said, oh, you know, you're wasting your time. You know, it's probably, it looks pretty turd out there. I was like, yeah, well, I'm here now. I've driven an hour and a half. I went <laughs> out and I got just behind the back line. And because I was worried about the, the current, I swam on a different direction, came across a rock and swam up to this rock. And I was like, oh, there's a Samson fish there, um, which have a bit of a whitey blue tail. I'm like, oh, Samson fish has got blue dots. Holy crap. That's a, that's a big snapper. So I just shot this, um, I think it was like 5.75 kilo snapper, um, cool. t- 10 minutes into a shore dive in, in 12 feet of water sort of thing. Um, and then I was like, oh, this is awesome. Put it on my float and I kept swimming. And then I got circled by this massive vortex of giant trevally. Um, I don't know if you've seen those, um, wow. uh, the allures, they call them in, in Hawaii, uh, big silver blacky looking things. And the only time you ever see those at that reef is when it's really fishy and it's always really sharky. Um, so I saw this <laughs> massive shoal go around me like 40 kilo fish. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to shoot anything better than the snapper. I'm going to go in before it gets eaten. And so that was <laughs> just, you know, it was one of those things I was there, the conditions were turd. I went out and got a cool fish and it was probably like the, the best fish I'd shot for ever at that time. And it was just, yeah, I did it on a shore dive. It's always awesome. more rewarding on a shore dive. Nice. How do you go about planning your videos before filming them? Ooh, um, if I'm making a tutorial video, I kind I, I, I like to go old school and pen and paper it down. Like when I did a video about should you use a reel on your gun, I just mm-hmm. went and thought of, tried to list all the things of, why you should, why you shouldn't, and then try and make that into a logical order. But for videos such as the stuff I've been doing recently where I go somewhere, it's really hard to plan out because you don't know exactly what's going to happen. You know what you'd like to happen, but it's kind of hard sometimes to to plan it out. So um, sometimes like that Norway trip um, in March, I was like in my head when we were going, I was like, yeah, this is going to be so good. We're going to go there. We're going to shoot. 40 kilo cod we're gonna smack some halibut this video is gonna be epic day four i was like what am i gonna do for a video <laughs> um and then yeah so sometimes you have to maybe film some stuff there when you're there and thinking about the story um if you're that way inclined to you know make your videos that way but um most of the time i just kind of go with the flow and whatever happens happens on some of those more um just adventure day type videos but any of the tutorial stuff i um I, I write down and go and i type it up and go this is kind of the idea that i'm going to try and communicate but i don't use a teleprompter because they look really they can look really unnatural when you're just reading off a teleprompter hi my name is ron burgundy <laughs> i am a sissy lala you know that sort of thing um yeah. I've, I've done so many commercial shoots where people read off teleprompters and they can be the most animated, lovely people in the world. And then they read off a teleprompter and their name is Joe blogs and it's mm. terrible. So I, I kind of just, yeah, try and get it out in a paragraph at yeah. a time. Oh, cool. Um, 
best travel destination for spearfishing from the UK? So as in, I guess that question is, where would you go if not in the UK? And presumably not. If you want to, if you want to shoot fish uh, and you want it to be shallow, go to Norway. Mm-hmm. So many fish in Norway. Um, beautiful country, beautiful people. It doesn't have to be expensive. I mean, some I know there is some charters popping up there now, but you can book a fishing lodge and a boat. Um, there's a wonderful website, uh, dintur.no, dintur.no, and you can search by region, and it's kind of Airbnb for fishing lodges, and you can check availability cool. of what type of boats they've got. So every time I've been to Norway, we've never gone with a guide. So we just look at the charts and look at the location, Google Earth, you know, trawl the internet for all the information that you can, make an educated guess, go somewhere and go looking, which is a very daunting task when you just rock up into the Arctic Circle and they say, here's the keys to the boat, have fun. <laughs> you know, oh my gosh, where am I going to find fish? Which is a, a big part of the adventure. But if you want to do that and just have a great time, go to Hitra in it's kind of like in the middle of Norway. Um, if you want to go shoot a bunch of fish, there's a very popular spot, uh, South Traumen. Um, It's near Boda. You can fly directly from to Boda from London, I think, at, at certain times of the year or, or via Oslo. Um, Norway's great. I mean, and you can even take your fish back. If you're with a registered fishing lodge, you can um, you log your fish. You have to log your fish anyway, your captures. And you can take 20 kilos of fillet back to the UK, which is great. So, nice. so if you do, if you do a autumn trip, uh, which is probably the time I would recommend to go, a lot of people think going July is going to be great because it's the warmest, but because they get near, well, north of the Arctic circle, they get 24 hour daylight for a certain period of time. The marine plants just go bonkers. It's like a hydroponic set. It's like, it's like being, you know, it's like, people growing weed with 24 seven lights, like <laughs> it grows quick. So you often get dirty visibility because there's yeah. lots of marine spawn and growth and that sort of stuff. So like algal bloom. Yeah. Like that sort of stuff, like, but turbo because you've got UV nonstop. So I would avoid, you know, some people do dive around June, July, but I probably would wait a bit later in the season season to go, but Norway's great. Heaps of fish. You can shore dive, you can get a boat, but if you do it yourself, I mean that the first trip I did for halibut, I think we paid between five us accommodation, boat, fuel, food. We, you take all your own food. You just get a bag to put, load up at Tesco's. I mean, Andrew Gom, he took a carton of Foster's over because it was that much cheaper to, to buy it from Tesco than it was over there. Um, <laughs> and then you put your fillets in it on the way back once you eat all the food. But nice. um, yeah, I think it cost us 600, 700 quid each for six days diving. We should yeah. have gone to Norway. Um, no, Arian, we, we, we loved our trip up to you. Yeah. Um, oh, you went with Arian? I love Arian. He's a, yeah, he's a, he's yeah. a lovely guy. He's a very handsome dude. I'm just yeah. going to put it out there on the podcast. <laughs> good looking dude. Yeah. Very just nice say, as well. Shame about his job role, though. Bloody please. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, only I went to Finland with him actually this year. Um, but yeah, he's great fun. I, I, I love uh, loved my time with Arian. Um, good uh, good chef as well. Loves to get stuck in. Yeah. He was also in the in the navy as a chef, I think. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, good lad, good lad. But yeah, go to Norway. You can, you can go to bougie places. I went to a, a bougie place um, the second time when when I actually shot a halibut, and you know, fuel was like about four quid a litre because they made you buy their fuel and that sort mm. of stuff, which is pretty punchy. 
Well, as um, we were saying earlier on, I think we've got a we've got a listener that's messaged us, Axel. If you're listening, which I know you are, we're going to be talking to you soon to get up. Oh, to Axel, way. Axel from Arctic Spearfishing. Axel Ostevic. Yeah, yeah, he's. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think I saw him when I was up there on on one of the trips I was with actually uh, when I was there, and he just happened to be out spearfishing as well. But um, yeah, yeah, every time, really every time I see people go with them. Uh, every time I see people go with him, they they do really well. And you know, if you want to cut out that wasting time for the first three days trying to find fish, yeah. get a guide because yeah. those guys yeah. dive up there all the time. So you'll you'll have a blast if you go with them. That was exactly the same with Arian. You know, the first day, sort of within the first ten minutes, you're tired after the long drive because we drove up there, so it's like thirteen and a half hours. Um, we drive through <laughs> the night and then had to dive that day that we got up there so we were sort of up there at 3 a.m 4 a.m and then diving at 9 a.m um with arian saying come on you pussies get that cold water in your suit <laughs> it's sort of like but with arian it was first dive straight out of the boat there's fish yeah um, that's what you want yeah yeah it's, it's, it's that local guide so yeah no really good next question talk so this is kind of a, a, a an either or or a choice question <clears throat> okay talk to fish but only in broken spanish or ride sharks, but only premature lemon sharks. <laughs> I would go the Espanol. <laughs> be able to talk to fish. Yeah, come I'm here. Not sure who that question was from. I, I think you might might have a few funny questions. There's there's, there's more of them than I'm afraid. Um, yeah, no. no. Next one is: Has he ever seen or speared a Dover sole here in the UK? I've I've never seen a. Dover sole, never, never speared one. No, um, I know guys. I see people every time over the summer. People are toweling them up at Brighton Pier, but I think I suspect they're going or they were night diving in in years gone by. Um, I mean, it's a great spot for flatties, mm. but I've never seen a Dover sole. No, I, I don't really spend much time looking for them. I'm, I'm a bit lazy mm. like that. I want to go shoot a bass in a hole like Kev Daly. That's what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all want to be Kev Daly, yeah. Or I just want to get tour guided with Joe Pike and he'll say, oh, go over here, shoot a pollock here, go do this and that. Yeah. There's a lobster in that hole and then it's just good fun that way. But yeah. I was going to say, I mean, I know you said about night diving, yeah. but you can hand catch them. You know, Dover Sol and yeah. Flatfish are easy to catch at night because yeah. you can just grab them. Yeah, I've, I've caught, I've hand caught some fish uh, in Denmark before, like that flatfish, mm-hmm. but just with a knife, you can jab them. Um, mm. The only reason I would put, the only reason I'm miffed about the EU law is because I wanted to go shoot a sea trout in Denmark and I was going there for work a lot the year and the year before and the year of that they brought that ban in and I just missed out because you kind of got to go at, you know, if you go there in May, you have to be diving at 1am because the sun doesn't, you know, it's still pretty light yeah, at 11pm really, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So um, I missed out on that. That was one thing I regret about the night diving, but I don't have too much interest in in the night diving myself. Um, but, you know, if I was going to go see a massive Dover sole, I could probably be convinced otherwise. Uh, when you come down this way, we'll have to take you out for a, uh, a night hand-catching session. Mm. It's uh, We have a and few good spots for Dover sole around here. I would love to shoot one. Well, catch one. I'd love to eat one. Yeah. Okay. I've got loads in the freezer if ever you want any. <laughs> um. Next question, Vegemite or Marmite? It's not even a question. Vegemite. Candy <laughs> P. Not a chance. Marmite for the win. <laughs> the, vis- the viscosity of Marmite concerns me because it will actually it's run really out. Thick. It's not thick. 
It's, what? It's, 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 you know, Marmite, if you look on a Marmite jar, there is a flat spot on the side of it. And that is because when you get to the bottom of the Marmite jar, you can turn it on its side and store it that way so you can scrape it out easy with a knife because yeah. of its low viscosity compared to Vegemite, whereas Vegemite is a solid paste. You can leave a jar upside down and it won't come out. I love Vegemite. Oh, I don't think I've ever tried Vegemite then. Maybe I've <laughs> tried some knockoff versions because I've always thought that Vegemite was like a liquid version of Marmite. Veg- Vegemite is like... Um, like uh, bo- black, uh, bo- uh, black boots polish. Right, uh, right. Like proper thick. Like actually, um, yeah, when, and people say, oh, you know, you're supposed to do a little bit of a toaster. I put it on thick as I, I eat spe- yeah. tea- teaspoons of that gear. I could Vegemite on toast and bananas. I lived on that for uh, nearly 28 days um, when I was on this um, expedition in or that documentary in Timor-Leste because everyone got Jardia um, from eating funky foods and stuff like that. <laughs> Um, which is like a stomach parasite that lays an egg and then explodes in your oh intestines and you shit yourself for seven days. Um, nice. Yeah, terrible. Everyone got it except me. Um, but I would in the morning, I'd just be like bananas, white bread, Vegemite. That's what I'm having for lunch. And then I would risk the biscuit. Uh, I would roll the dice on whatever they serve for dinner. But yeah, love awesome. it. Vegemite. Cannot <laughs> rate it high enough. Um. Next one is, how do you keep up your dive fitness in the winter? I don't. <laughs> um, you said that uh, you and Hannah were going to go um, join a, a club though, right? Yeah, I really want to just yeah, try and keep some of that fitness because mm-hmm. when you, uh, with increasingly more travel destinations opening up now with the end of COVID, you know, there's actually some decent places to go in January and February, mm-hmm. uh, which I would like to be a little bit more fit for than um what i currently am so I, I, i've never done much pool stuff i've never done any free diving um i've never dived down on a line i've never i mean like most people in the first lockdown we all did let's see how long we can hold our breath on on a bed sort of thing like just chilling out because you were bored out of your mind um but that's probably the only sort of free diving related thing i've ever done so yeah it might, it might help the spearfishing I, I i don't know um just don't ask um bob mccoom about the the spearfishing and the free diving mix, because yeah. Anyway, you obviously don't see those posts because there's no. Reaction. I see plenty of those posts though. <laughs> okay, right, cool. <laughs> anyway, I can. Next. Yeah, we've got our own choices. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> Let's roll. That's it. <laughs> Next question. What? Uh, oh, this is, must have been copy and pasted. Um, what are your tips for finding fish when continually diving new marks? I think there are a few basic things that you can, that, that fish, uh, you know, fish like to have, and then they're very similar to us. They like to have somewhere to live. They like to have something to eat and they like to procreate. And I think when you can find something that fulfills any of those needs, that's generally where you're going to find fish. So a, a lot of these same rules apply. So, you know, whether you go to any country in the world, you, you see bait fish, there's going to be other fish eating it, generally speaking. Um, very rare that you're going to find bait without anything, any other signs of predatory fish. If you have any current fish, always uh, bait will congregate on the upcurrent side of a structure. Um, so, you know, you have a reef, it's, uh, it's running north-south. Um, and if the current's coming from the north and hitting the northern edge, that's where the fish are going to be. They're not going to be on the southern edge. Um, so finding new spots, um, not... So, so when you are diving new places, um, Write down 
what conditions he went on there, uh, went to these places because I can tell you that I've got, so there's some rocks that I would dive in Australia that are the size of a small house and you can go there one day and there is not a single scale of a fish sitting there and you can wait four hours and the tide changes and pushes from a certain direction and you can't see the bottom because there's so many fish. So just mm. because a spot um, doesn't have fish on it on a particular day doesn't mean that it's a, a terrible spot. I mean, obviously if you're swimming over a massive patch of sand, that's got no features and nothing, it's probably not a great spot. Um, but yeah, fish need, need other fish. They need to eat, they need somewhere to live. So I would say by observing places where you are finding fish and translating that to new places, you can kind of get an idea of, oh, this looks like a fishy spot. Um, and I guess that's just developing fish sense as, as it were, but yeah, just, just, just observe sometimes and, you know, try and link similarities between, um, different areas and then just think about current, think about tide, think about time of year, um, think about when you've seen other fish. So yeah, just, just look, just look, keep your eyes open. Cool. Nice one. Best and worst thing about spearfishing in Europe? Best thing. Best thing about spearfishing in Europe. Um, it's so varied. You can, yeah, there's, there's so many different things. You can be shooting a halibut in Norway. You could shoot a massive wahoo in the Canary Islands. You could shoot a dentex in the Mediterranean. You can be shooting sargos in three foot of water in portugal you can it's just it's, there's so many it's because it's so large it's so varied and the food all these places you go to they've all got their different methods of cooking things so i would just say the the variety and the worst thing about europe oh, i think that does kind of grinds on me it's just everybody thinks their country's the best um yeah. which is like, i don't i don't think australia is the best country in the world i'm just going to say it um, I mean, I haven't been to every country in the world to know that, but everyone, like, you know, you post a video about Greek, uh, Greece, Greeks, Greece is terrible. Come to Cyprus. It's way better. Or, you know, you post a video about Portugal, Portugal. Why don't you come to Spain? You post a video about Albania. Oh, Albania. Montenegro is way better. I'm like, Hey, it's like a couple hundred clicks up the coast. It's pretty similar. Anyway. Um, I think just that sort of, uh, people are very, um, uh, passionate about um their own countries and that that does get a bit annoying sometimes because they go oh you know i don't know it just it just pisses me off a little bit i'm like i don't care what you know like it, it's it doesn't mean you're any better if you can you know shoot a fish in italy versus greece i mean i have people message me i had someone message me and say oh in, we're trying to settle the debate which where's it harder to shoot fish greece or italy i'm like does it matter? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, you know, I think that kind of just annoys me. But except the Scandies, the Scandies are all really nice. They don't give a crap. They're just happy to 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 dive. So, in in your escapades, then for for the UK on that, I mean, I would have thought that the UK is quite humble. In that, do you get much sort of 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 that? The UK is the best. England's the best. Scotland's the best. Or, I, it's just from the bloody Cornish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but they have got the best bloody war <laughs> out of everywhere in the uk I, I don't know like to be honest um if you if the pairs comp uh for the lic pairs comp has traditionally been run at portland bill and they have six species on the 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 list mullet bass flatfish bream pollock, pollock and cod mm. 
I don't think there's anywhere else in the UK that you could reasonably expect to get see all six of those fish in one day. Mm. Especially, um, yeah, especially not cod. And a cod. we used to get a lot, a lot more there. I've never shot a cod in the UK, but um, like, you know, ten years ago there used to be a lot more. But still, even those other five fish, I mean, it's quite hard to um, get those. And yes, I don't know. I just think I think the bass are bigger in in Dorset and. Sussex. I mean, you see what Kev Daly um, shoots. You see what Eric Smith shoots. You see what Mick Veal shoots. Mm. See what all these guys like. They're all out there toweling up. You know, you should see what comes on the London uh, club chat. You know, we mostly most of us dive Sussex because we're, we're in London, and you know, someone shoots a ten pound bass most weekends in in um, in Sussex. And I just, I don't know. I don't think yeah, Cornwall might get decent visibility, but I still think Dorset's quite varied. Devon's quite cool. Um, mm. cool. Yeah, don't get me wrong, Cornwall's great, but I don't think anything is necessarily unequivocally unequivocally better than another, mm. another county. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just different. I mean, just totally different, yeah. Um, I mean, in, in Cornwall, you, it, most people seem to be shooting gilthead sea rim in, you know, knee-deep water in stringweed, whereas the only time I've ever seen gilthead's is off Portland Bill in 30 metres um, in a big-ass shoal. And yeah, it's just totally different. You don't have the string weed on the coast, um, you know, and yeah, it's just, it's just so varied in on the UK coastline, which I think is really cool actually. Um, but I don't think one's better than the other. And I don't think the UK, I just think the Cornish just think that Cornwall's the best. And the Cornish normally think that the Cornish are the best and they still think that they're their own country, but never mind. <laughs> Tony, just going back to what you were saying earlier on about um, sort of remembering everything um, or keeping your eyes open. Tony Sykes, a chat that we had on um, a while back on one of our podcasts, he was saying the same, how this year he's had a fantastic year because he's just religiously writing everything down in his notebook. Mm. I think he's now got on Amazon um, and just really concentrating on what he's doing and he also dives pretty much every fucking day so <laughs> that, he, that he's, i mean he's he's shot so many guilted's this year and it's and you know you do the do the as they say do the miles get the smiles and he's put in the time he's he's put in the swims and he's gone out there and he's been rewarded for it and there's no reason that you know, may not be at the same pace because you're not diving as frequently but you can emulate those sort of things i'm pretty sure i mean what one of my first spearfishing mentors he had diaries of every dive from the 80s up until like the Christ. late 90s wow um Easy. yeah and and he, every time he went diving everything and i'm pretty sure i've never seen them but i'm pretty sure kev daly has something very similar on, oh that's on, his on, hacks on. is it his <laughs> aim I, don't, I, think he's, I don't I, I think he's just more committed i mean what 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 do you know i used to i've got diaries for maybe four years straight from from australia but i would you know you get lazy and you, you don't you're not commit i'm not committed enough and i you know i would write them down a week later and by then it's not fresh in your memory mm. and that sort of stuff or i'd get to the end of the month i'm like i'll write all my stuff around um you know what what happened on those dives and you look back on through you know you flip through the pages and you go i wrote this on the day and then i wrote this one um not on the day because you know two sentences versus a whole paragraph and diagrams and that sort of thing. So yeah, exactly what Tony says, you know, he's, I, from what I understand, he's, he hasn't been spearfishing for, a, you know, a terribly long time, but he's put in the effort and he's obviously observed exactly 
the things that we've been talking about, where he's finding the fish and he's got repeatable results. And that's why he went back. And I think for one week, he just snotted a guilted every day of the week almost. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, awesome. Yeah. Um, so what small prep makes the biggest difference? Um, I'm quite a gear nerd. So I think having, I mean, I've had this conversation many a time with people about there's generally three things that make a, a great spear fisher, fish sense, diving ability and gear and you know for me fish sense you're always you know developing and learning diving ability i'm not the deepest diver out there in the world i'm not i don't have the longest breath hold um but gear it's all those little one percenters that add up to more success like that story i was telling earlier about the red emperor with tim tim is phenomenal he's uh, him and bryson are the probably Two of the best, two, certainly the two of the, the two best divers I've dived with in Australia. I mean, I've I've seen them, you know, Bryson come off a, a six-week work stint, not diving at all, and second dive of the day, 40 meters. And you know, they're insanely athletic people. They got incredible fish sense, but Tim is terrible at gear maintenance and gear. And it stops, it's it's cost him fish. Like I've got videos of him you know, shooting fish and the floppers come straight back out and he's underwater mashing his rife against the coral in frustration. Um, I just think, and so for me, gear is something I can absolutely always, um, you know, there's no excuses for, for me that to have gear failure. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't, I never touch wood. I don't swim out and, uh, you know, on a shore dive and then load my spear gun and my rubber pops or fails. It, it just doesn't happen because I, learn how to tie my bands. I don't take any risks on a bridle looking a bit dodgy. I don't have my mono snap. I change it if there's any problems in it. And so I think the easiest preparation you can do is make sure your gear is in the best condition it can be. Tune your flopper before you go out because, you know, you spend all this time, you swim ages, you get in a position, you find a fish, you hunt the fish, you pull the trigger, you put the spear into the fish, you've got all that way and you didn't tune your flopper and you lose mm. the fish. You just think that is just madness not to um you know do something about it um i went through a stage uh, when i was trying to shoot a wahoo i lost seven shafts to wahoo just from either mono not being crimped right unlucky with sharks floppers falling i, I can remember the very first big wahoo i shot for about 25 kilos i had it on for so long because i didn't tune my flopper it didn't lock open it actually oh. it could just flop open and close and so when i was pulling it up on the surface i had it i I had my rig line there and I had a second gun ready to go second shoot it. This wahoo was cooked. I dived down, I let go of the rig line and the weight of the spear slid forward. And so the water pressures closed the flopper. It gave one kick and it swam off. And I was like, that heartbreaking moment that still sticks yeah. with me 15 years later, I could have avoided. And I think just making sure your gear is tip top. And if you don't know how to tune a flopper or what it should be like, find someone that does, or I've got a video that, kind of explains it um i think it's called stop losing fish um something like that along those lines but yeah that sort of stuff is 100 preventable so if you can you know if you're not the fittest and you don't have the greatest fish sense at least make sure your gear doesn't break <laughs> right nice one uh next one is what is the best there's only two left by the way just 
<laughs> How long was I answer to that question? That was ridiculous. That was like, oh, what's the best thing you can do for prep? Oh, maintain your gear. And here I go. These, these were like quick five questions. Well. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Um, this is what I was saying. I've never done a short no, podcast. Mate, it's uh, terrible. I love it. I love it. What What is the best way to start spearfishing as a beginner? You know, big, I, I big tell question, I, but... I tell people to go do a course because you get yeah. good advice straight off the bat. But um, I think finding someone, I mean, courses are they're not cheap. And I think that, you know, barrier to entry is quite high. If everybody has, you know, you tailor around, you have to do a course to start, start spearfishing. And I think there's a bit of, you know, there's a lot of beauty in um, fumbling your way around when you start something new and, you know, learning all the things that, um, you know, you take for granted that you know now, and it's this kind of a nice learning curve. I mean, what was that? Um, and and you said so, and then you said something before that you didn't know for for so oh, about the GoPro, you know, like that sort of yeah. stuff. You turning yeah. on your GoPro on and off and that. Yeah. Um, I think there's this, it's it's certainly not the fastest way to start shooting fish, but um, yeah, I would say just find somebody or join a spear fishing club. Um, joining a spear fishing club is way more economical uh, than doing mm-hmm. a spear fishing course. And it's a progression where you're part of a community that is going to teach you as you progress, whereas you do a course, you kind of, you've, you've done that and that's one compartmentalized piece of education. And then you might have a question three months later that you may not be able to go out and, um, you know, ask that course instructor. Um, and yeah, diving with different people, um, you learn so much because everybody does something so everybody does things so differently. Like the amount of different gear I saw from Portugal to Spain, Albania and Greece and Italy, everybody's gears so different. They do things for different reasons. Some of that you like, some of it you don't, but um, yeah, joining a club, I would say um, as a, as a new spearfisher um, or find a friend that um, is into it. Can't stress the club enough. I I was a big part of a spearfishing club and it's, um you know, it's a really beautiful thing when it's when it's done well and you know, mm. overly politicized um you know, I can still that, remember. that's what i would have said is is club for me was the biggest thing that sort of gave me the leg into other people that have already been spearfishing forever um yeah. you know davo is one that i get ripped for constantly as my sugar daddy yeah but, but he's been diving since the dawn of time so you God, yeah. wish not to listen to him you know, yeah it's just, yeah and uh, and other people and going to competitions and just Get involved in it. The be- the yeah. best thing I'd say is, for, for me, best way to start, just get involved as much as you possibly can and meet yeah. as many people and be as social as possible. Because Definitely. all those spearfishers very much do not like socially sharing their secrets after a competition. And I can't remember who I was having a com- uh, conversation with. So you get to a competition in the morning, nobody will tell you anything. They're not. They're they're not releasing their secrets. They're not telling you whether they're going left, no right, up, down, no one, nothing. No one tells you anything until after the competition. Everyone tells you everything, and it's just even if you were just to turn up at the end of the competition and not even take yeah. part, the amount you could learn. It's. I mean, it's I, that social. As you know from those competitions, when you're saying you know you said you weren't particularly competitive, I think busting your balls for um, six hours or your ovaries or whatever. I don't want to be um, <laughs> gender stereotyping here. Spira. Busting your butt um, for six hours, you know, you uh, even if you don't, you know, shoot some fish, you get to see what the potential is um, of a spot and you've something to strive for as well and say, well, look, we all had the same opportunity here um, 
and it, it kind of gives you that for me it gives me that drive um you know obviously i go to a competition i want to do well but it also gives you that opportunity to go hey you know i'm not as good as i think i am i need to learn some things what can i do better it gets you thinking about what you can improve on um, when you see other people's catches um i mean my my measure for how well i've done in a competition is did i shoot everything i saw and most of the time it's a no um, but if you if you shoot every single fish that you see that's valid on the day you can't do any better mm. um, you know than that you, know, you can't be too upset with yourself but um yeah joining a club getting involved even just like a social competition anything anything where you can just be around other people and absorb the information is is really good if you're a beginner and that's very daunting if you've never gone spearfishing before um i would say maybe go without a gun don't go with all the all the faff go snorkeling um as as such and and do that if you're like super you know box fresh sort of thing getting into it just don't get a gun straight away get a hand spear um you'll learn way more hunting technique using a hand spear it's one thing i wish i did um is used a hand spear when i was um starting out because you just have to get so much closer to a fish have you done much of that or never no, <laughs> I've, used, I've used like a hand spear maybe once or twice. Just, yeah, I've heard a lot of advice. You know, use a hand spear. Don't go out with a gun. You know, just just I don't. I've not heard many spears that have actually done that. It's like the like the go to advice, isn't it? But everybody just wants ah. to get in there with a gun. Of course they do. Yeah, it's just well, it's it's. I think it's one of those pieces of advice. Is like, oh, if you want to get fit, go run five miles every day. <laughs> yeah. Cool story, bro. Um, <laughs> Uh, awesome. <laughs> it's probably Final, good advice. Yeah. yeah Final absolutely. question. Best eating fish in Sydney. Best eating fish in Sydney. Um you can get lots of different things in Sydney. I would probably say if you would maybe a a red rock cod, which is the red scorpion fish. Um is quite good in Sydney. Um depends on your taste as well and what you're trying to cook. I mean, like a, a kingfish is yeah, you know, tell kingfish is great if you want to do some sashimi. The red, the the red scorpion fish probably not the best thing for sashimi. Oh, they're all right for ceviche and that sort of stuff. But um, there's lots of tasty things, and it all depends on your your personal preferences and how good you are at cooking. But if you were to go top three, I would say probably your your red scorpion fish, um, maybe a dusky flathead um, is, is quite good. Got a soft spot for those. Used to towel a lot of those up when I was younger, um, and they sit still. It's like the equivalent of a, a flounder in Australia, but mm. a bit different. Um, maybe a king, yellowtail kingfish. They're, they're pretty good to eat for um, sashimi and that sort of stuff. But nice. yeah, that's probably about it in Sydney. Oh, there, there's lots of other tasty fish you can shoot there, but if I was going to pick them, yeah, I'd say that. I need to awesome. try it someday. Well, thank you so much, Dan. I know it's been quite a, an epic um, evening of, of questions. No problem at all. You must be knackered. Um, totally fine. For those of you uh, listeners that don't know where to find you and your, your contact details and, and YouTube channel and stuff like that, do you want to just give us a quick, um, where can we find you? If you go to youtube.com forward slash Daniel Mann, uh, you'll, you'll find me there. Or if you type in spearfishing Daniel Mann, you, you'll, you'll find that on YouTube. Um, same on Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. if, you want to, if you want to send a message, um, it's weird. YouTube doesn't really have a DM function so no. you can't really send direct messages you just got a comment me. mm. you got a comment yeah and then sometimes youtube flags it up and says this is inappropriate because whatever i don't know or if you put a link in your comment doesn't get shown but um send, send me a message on instagram um i'll eventually get to it um when it 
that goes to a message request folder and that sort of stuff. And you got to dig into it. But anyway, shoot me a DM on um, on Instagram. It's probably the easiest way to to get in touch if if you want to. Yeah. Um, Perfect. Or, well, th- thank yeah. you very much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure, and we yeah, wish you all you. the best of luck. You know, getting to that one million. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Might, we want might, we want a really good time. video. We want a really good video that plaque yeah, for a million. Yeah, I'll, I'll promise to do something not as anticlimactic. But um, and if I come to a competition, I'll dig out my plaque out of a box that's in a storage unit at the moment. That, yeah, yeah, that would be great. That'll you can great. actually order if you ever get a YouTube channel that gets to hundred thousand. You can actually they give you a card and you can order you know multiple copies. Then you can just email and and say and and pay for it. They give you the first one for free, but I think you can buy additional ones because you know some channels are obviously made of more than a single individual mm. um so if you ever if you know someone and you want them to get a plaque you can and you can get whatever you want written on it as well you can change it um oh nice so you oh, can I, kind might of, sure to, I might have you to can buy one on ebay i'm sure you can, <laughs> you can buy one on ebay for sure um, nice but yeah cool awesome well thank you very much again and uh yeah we'll, we hope to see you next year um in the flesh that's it and look forward to all the videos coming out with all of those four terabytes of stuff you've got sift yes thank you very much awesome cheers dan cheers dan wow that was amazing as usual christ he's got some bloody information in him that boy yeah and and he talks (laughs) (laughs) he was really good fun actually and um there's obviously some stuff that we we won't put in the podcast that um you know we discussed after when we when we stopped recording but he's just a lovely guy isn't he yeah yeah he's he's a really really genuine bloke yeah um the the bits that we sort of we, we had a chat after um the recording of the podcast and some really good ideas um and yeah very much looking forward to seeing his his channel grow um yeah. and hopefully a few of the ideas come to fruition but we've got dirt on you now dan well i, I actually i actually feel a bit honored because i kind of feel like a listener because Obviously, I wasn't uh, partaking yeah. in, in in the episode, but I managed to actually get to listen to it. Obviously, because we we uploaded it to Drive, but I listened to it, and I managed to listen to all of it, which you know, unedited, which obviously listeners aren't going to be able to do. So yeah, yeah. It, was, it was awesome. Eh? Um, yeah, loved it. Really, really good episode. And um, yeah, the guy's just like next level. Eh? Um, yeah, he's he's fantastic. He's he's so easy to talk to, and. He's just yeah got so much information, so much knowledge. Yeah, he's been spearfishing twenty years, and even in the last twelve months, like he was saying in the podcast, you know, he's been to twelve different countries or dived at twelve different countries. Oh, that's crazy. Um, this year, it's like absolutely fantastic. What a, what a very lucky legend. Yeah, yeah cool we, we got some um, good info on Norway's as well, didn't we? So I think that that be a. Uh... That'll be in the group a little bit later. Get started on the oh, planning yeah. of that trip. <laughs> or all you lads want to get up to Norway next year, don't you? Yeah. That's it. Well, oh. I think this is going to be the third time I've probably said his name in this podcast. But uh, Axel Ulstevik, we're yeah. calling you out. <laughs> <laughs> You've mentioned this before. Once you listen to this podcast, you need to get in touch so that we can arrange something for at least us three next year but we've got a little group um of our local friends that i'm sure probably another three or four would want to tag along so we need to try and t- figure out a seven of us trip to norway sounds like a uh driving anthony's van 
situation. <laughs> <laughs> nah, Ben won't do it because Perth is fake news. It's fine. No, we're flying to Norway. I've, I mean, I, I've, how the hell Dave and Tom survived 13 hours with you. both ways yeah. with me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, it'll be something to look forward to next year. But uh, I don't know if you're going to be able to fit in the Azores and Norway. Oh, you know, man, I, we yeah, get I don't know what's going on. Permission. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, let, I, I was going to say, gonna... like, that's a shock. Hey, Haley's still not happy with you since a couple episodes ago when you called her out, sir. What did I say? You called her out because she didn't clean my wetsuit. Oh, yeah, well, that's fair enough. Haley, what are you doing? Have you still not washed your wetsuit? (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens, eh? but yeah, it'll be epic, man. If if you can... We can get over there and sort something out. That'd be cool, man. So yeah. we got we got a few listeners over in Norway. So um, yeah, might be able to sort something out. Yeah, but, number, yeah. Was it the fourth country on the stats? I think we had a, a thing from Spotify this week, didn't we? Breaking down the listeners. Stats. Uh, oh yeah, we had the Spotify. Was it called Wrap Up? I think it is. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, there was quite a few stats on there. I mean, literally, because I, I texted them over to you guys last night, didn't I? Because I, I looked yeah. at it and I thought. Oh my god, what is this? And I um, I just, yeah, I was too excited. So I had to send it over to you. <laughs> we're, we're we're in the top ten percent of the most shared podcasts globally. Yeah, I thought that was uh, epic. And uh, the, the the listeners scored your podcast four point eight out of five. So uh, these stats are amazing. Yeah, thanks so much, everybody. And we're yeah. in the t- we're in the top ten percent most followed podcasts globally. That is in. Yeah, like us three idiots. Can you even imagine? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. Thank you, everyone. We're really, 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 yeah, you know, we're thankful for the support and we're going to keep doing it and keep getting really good, cool guests on. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, as we, as Rich was saying at the beginning of the, uh, of the intro, there's the competition. Um, so Rich, tell us again about the comp and how people can win shit. Yeah. So we got like quite a few cool prizes. Um, but yeah, if you if you want to check it out, get involved. Follow us on uh, Instagram. It's all on there. So it's the underscore spirit underscore hangout on Instagram, and all the details are there. And yeah, again, massive thank you to the sponsors for getting on board and and providing the uh, prizes. Yeah, amazing. And so, <laughs> oh, cough my guts. That was coming up next week. Uh, I'm not sure to be honest. I think we'll we'll have to figure that one out. Yeah, but we do have a, let... a a special guest the week after, don't we? We do. Yeah. Are we we are we going to say or should we? I don't I don't know. I'd probably better confirm with him first. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I th- I think next week um, we were going to record one with someone that we're not going to drop until later on or something. I know we were we were playing around with how we were going to drop the dates for a Christmas. Yes. Special. So we definitely did not to mention it tonight because we. Gonna... No, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah. Horrible. So basically, we're planning to get a very popular person on. And we'll be dropping it over the Christmas period if it happens. Yep. Sweet lads. Oh, good luck in your <laughs> operation tomorrow, Rich. Hopefully, yep. they get well. rid of the pain. And... Cheers, lads. No worries. I'll catch you in a couple of weeks when I'm back in the water. Excellent. Well, we'll speak to you next week in the podcast. Catch you later. Cheers, guys. Cheers, boys. Good night.